you're hearing this episode on the Really True Fiction feed, I just want to let you know that episodes of The Liberal Soul won't always appear here. If you're enjoying The Liberal Soul, please subscribe to it on whatever app you use to get your podcasts. Have a great day, and may the Force be with you. The Liberal Soul is a podcast where I talk to people about their passions and their interests. I'll relay some of my own, as well as discuss works and thinkers important to the history of liberal philosophy. The Liberal Soul is meant to represent the people who are curious about the world and live to see themselves and others flourish within it. Please be aware that this podcast has some crude language and sometimes some bad words, but so it goes. Hello, you've found the liberal soul. My name is Luke Mason. I am super, super pumped for today's episode because I actually have two guests today. My guests are Alex Wan and Billy Schultz. And the reason I'm so excited for this is twofold. The first is that we are going to be talking about our first kind of common love together, which is Star Wars. So this is going to be a very nerdy, very <laughs> uh, effusively loving and sometimes critical uh, love letter to Star Wars, but what can you do when the franchise has taken the twists and turns that it has? And so the force is strong with us in this recording. But additionally, I'm really excited because Alex and Billy are co-hosts on another podcast that Billy started and Billy runs called Nothing to Fear. And in that podcast, the three of us record an opening segment talking about the movie we're going to watch that day. Then we watch a horror movie. And then after we watch the horror movie, we discuss it. So there's like a shorter intro segment and then the trailer plays. And then we come back after having watched the movie and talk about it. And that podcast is a ton of fun. It's been such a good way for the three of us to stay in contact with each other. It's definitely been one of the things that has improved my podcast chops as well as the other two and so i thought i really wanted to get the two of them on to the liberal soul to talk about something all three of us love and was kind of like one of the first things we bonded over which is our love of star wars and so that is what you get today is a, is a more nerdier well i won't say more nerdier because i definitely know i've done some pretty nerdy solo episodes but a definitely a nerdy episode of Li- liberal soul that is um very loving So I hope you enjoy it. And if you are enjoying The Liberal Soul, it would be really awesome if you could leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. That's a really good way to help new people find the show. As well as um, if you want to be in contact with me, you can send me an email at theliberalsoul87 at gmail.com. There is also a Facebook group called The Liberal Soul, which you can search and like. And uh, I post notifications for new episodes there as well. And there is a Twitter at Liberal Soul 87 if you want to get a hold of me there. And so without any more distracting and unnecessary trips to Cloud City or Bespin, uh, may the force be with you. I bring you Alex Wan and Billy Schultz. Okay, well, I want to say a big hello and thank you for coming to the show today to Alex Wan and Billy Schultz. How are the two of you doing? I'm good. Um, went outside this morning, a little sweaty, but it's nicer. It's only like 27 degrees, so it's great. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I'm ready yes. to uh, talk about the hot twin suns. 
Oh, Chris Paul and Devin Booker. <laughs> Are we talking about Star Wars today? I came all prepared to talk about Star Trek. I was going to talk about Jean-Luc uh, Picard, Captain Kirk, everybody. No? No, it's Star Wars. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm doing well, Luke. Thanks for having us on The Liberal Soul. It's a pleasure to be here. It looks suspiciously like the Nothing to Fear recording spaces, but <laughs> I see you've yeah. done, you've done, I love what you've done with the place. <laughs> Well, we're recording this at a slightly different time of day than normal, so the uh, light from my light looks at a different angle. I don't know. You know what? Like, where you're in right now, it kind of looks like your Calgary place a little bit. It mm, really does. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, the couch in the main room, there's the light there. There's a brand... I love the brand new picture of Ireland. Yeah, I, uh, I really white-walled the place. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for listeners who don't know, Alex and Billy and I are all on a different podcast called Nothing to Fear, and we were all friends uh, long before that, working for the agency that no longer has a name <laughs> that we know it by. <laughs> it so, still has a name. It's uh, just a dumb not, name. <laughs> we can call it. Yeah. We can say it now, right? None of It's us not Prince. <laughs> well, and actually, it doesn't even exist anywhere now because... Uh, all the signage is gone. I got. I oh. saw a picture the other day. Uh, I drove by the location in Boness, and it still has the old signage all over that building. Ah. So if, for some reason, you don't know that I do a podcast also with Billy and Alex, check that one out, Nothing to Fear. We watch movies that have nothing to be afraid of them in when we watch them and after. <laughs> so <laughs> feel free to check that out. But that is not... well. I won't say there isn't anything horrific at all in the Star Wars universe to talk about, but that's not specifically the reason we're talking about them. Uh, so as as the two of you know, one of the things that really motivated my desire to start this new podcast was to talk to people about their passions and the things they love. And I would say, I think we were brought together because we worked together, but probably the first thing that all three of us were able to start making inside jokes and references to was Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to get us together to talk about why we love Star Wars, because I like to talk to people on this podcast about what they love. I'm excited. That is the first thing we all like really commonly bonded over was Star Wars. Yeah, I think so. I mean, was maybe maybe the MCU, but not even as deeply, I don't think. No, not even close. Mm-hmm. So um, first question that comes to mind is like, what are your earliest memories of Star Wars? Do you have uh, one that you can like pick? Sure. I actually first saw Star Wars as a taped off of another like TV channel onto a VHS tape. And it was The Empire Strikes Back. So the very first time I ever encountered any character in the Star Wars universe (laughs) was in the second movie that had ever been released. So Empire Strikes Back. Episode five, as it was, I think, retroactively named. I don't know if it had the mm-hmm. number by the time I experienced it, because it was like, oh, gosh, it was like early 90s. So it was before I remember the trilogy VHS set coming out in like 96, I think. And that was when they had done like the THX remaster. And it was in that, oh, in that brand gold... new tech. <laughs> yeah, right. It was it was amazing. <laughs> but anyway, so the, the very first time I saw it was off of this sort of like home bootleg copy type of thing. And I had no idea what anything about it was, but I was just like immediately fascinated. You know, it gives us an opening crawl 
I don't I don't have to explain it to you, but the opening crawl just talks about like Luke Skywalker blew up the Death Star and then like now the rebels are hiding on the base. And I was just like, I don't know what a Death Star is. I don't know who a Luke Skywalker is. I don't know what a Hoth is like. This seems really interesting. Like what what is this all about? And I just remember seeing like, you know, this movie that was spaceships and lasers and laser swords. And then like, uh, you know, a man telling another man that he was his father and it was just like okay what is this and how do i get and what a man (laughs) what a man (laughs) what a man and so i love like thinking back retroactively now george lucas's intent about making it feel like old serials where you maybe didn't come into the start of the movie like that's his whole idea around the episode four five and six being a central part of the story I just like that I got a little extra meta layer of watching the middle <laughs> movie of a middle trilogy of uh, yeah. <laughs> things. So I, it kind of just like that was my first experience. And I, I was just like, yep, I could get into this. I could get all the way super into this. Like, let's go. And did you watch the other two soon after that? I remember then getting that box set that three VHS box set and finally watching it and being like, Oh, so that's what a death star does. It kind of does exactly what it sounds like, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, but I how did the empire one. have that oversight? <laughs> how do they build one of those? And then they build a second one. That's yeah. an, that seems implausible. Yeah. But here we are. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so funny. I think you've told me that before, but I didn't. So it was like a taped movie. It wasn't even the actual movie Empire Strikes Back. So did you have to fast forward through all the commercials? I think, and I, I don't know where the tape is. So I think the tape has long since disintegrated. And I don't know if this is like mm. my current brain remembering back and like changing the the memory as they tell it. But I do remember it being like they aired it onto TV and my parents uh. taped it. And I don't know if it was the fact that there was little snippets of commercials I think that there are, but I don't have like, I know that my memory right. is like fa- not fallible or is fallible and I could be just like adding and embellishing. So I guess I can't really answer, but my, the way I remember it is, yeah, it was just uh taped from TV, maybe snippets of commercials and, you know, right. Luke gets into a Tauntaun and then it's like a com- half a commercial for a Honda Civic. And then you're like, <laughs> what the hell is going on? <laughs> so, well, <laughs> It comes to mind, Billy, that if if that movie did get disintegrated, Boba Fett must have got his hands on it. <laughs> Despite all those rules he had. Yeah. How about how about you, Alex? What was your first foray into the Star Wars world? Yeah, similar to Billy, the first Star Wars movie I ever saw was Empire Strikes Back. There was a big box of cassettes just like in the basement of the house I grew up in. And I think I was like, I think I might have been five or six. And, you know, just being like a curious kid, parents are like, go play, like, leave us alone. So I'd go venture downstairs and I'd find this like box of uh, VHSs. And there was one that was not opened. So it was still wrapped in its like plastic from the store. And it was Empire Strikes Back. I I distinctly remember it. It It was like this blue sleeve. And, like, you pull it out from the bottom. It wasn't a side pullout. It was a bottom pullout. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, uh, I remember just seeing this um, this VHS cover and just being so intrigued by it just 
from the pictures on it, right? If I remember correctly, there was, like, you saw Vader. Vader was on it. Uh, Luke, Han, and Leia, Chewie were on it as well. And then there was, like, a Tauntaun on the bottom. And then there was, like, you saw the Falcon as well. It was just, like, I don't know. I was a curious kid, and it looked cool to me. So I, Mm -hmm. like... And it was unopened too, which I thought was weird because like we had this like it was it was a mix mash of um, home movies and um, <laughs> and like lots of uh, pirated Chinese dubs of like The Lion King and things like that. <laughs> and it'd be like it'd be written in Sharpie on the side, like in Chinese, like this is The Lion King. Like even though I couldn't read it, but like I'd, I'd go up to my mom and be like, "What is this?" And she's like, "Oh, it's The Lion King." I'm like okay, and then it'd be dubbed, it dubbed in Chinese, which is funny because I, I think it was Jackie Chan that did the voice of Simba in the dub. Uh, so yeah, so uh, it was this big box, but like this was the one I knew that Simba did all his own stunts. Yeah, yeah, he fell off the um, yeah. the cliff by himself too. Yeah, exactly. He sure did. Are you talking about the poster, the poster cover, Alex? When you talk about that picture, like those, it looked like that hand painted like movie poster. Yeah, and I I just remember it being like a distinct blue sleeve so i don't know it it looked cool to me and i think the thing that interested me most about it was that it was unopened right it was the one tape in this box that was unopened and brand new so i was like if anyone's gonna watch this for the first time it's gonna be me so i opened it and i put it in and I, i still remember the basement that i grew up in it's like this dinky little tv that you know had a vhs like player built into it and I had this little rocking chair and I'd pull up right up to the screen and I'd like rock back and forth and watch it. And I remember being completely confused and oblivious to anything that was going on. Like the opening crawl, I couldn't read it. I couldn't read at that point. And um, them talking about Hoth and Ion Cannons and Tauntauns and X-Wings. I was like, none of this stuff makes sense <laughs> to me. But just visually, it was yeah. the coolest thing I've ever seen. The one scene that like, always springs into my mind when when i think about the first time i watched empire strikes back is immediately after the storm when han finds and saves luke and shoves him in the tauntaun and starts sticking up like tent poles and and whatnot and then the next scene where you see the um the snow speeders just like flying over at the horizon and like it's it's all cleared up and the, there's like that music playing in the background and they're looking for han and luke i just remember being like this is the coolest thing i've ever seen and i cannot stop watching and I didn't stop watching. Like, I was blown away visually by everything that happened, even though I didn't really understand it because I was still pretty young at that point. Like, so, like, there were lots of things in Empire Strikes Back that confused me wildly. Like, when Luke's on Dagobah training and then he goes down into, like, the, the, the beaten path and he fights against Vader and then the head explodes and it's a face <laughs> of himself. I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> um,. <laughs> and then I remember being like grossed out when, you know, Han and Leia are making out and stuff because, you know, that's <laughs> what you do as a kid. But then like mm. also thinking like when he gets down in the carbonate and he says, I know, it's like, wow, this guy's cool. And and like the lightsaber fight and Luke losing his hand, like watching that as a five year old was kind of traumatizing. Oh, sure. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it. It's just emotions when I think about the first time I watched it and just... No matter what, like, even if I didn't understand it, I wanted to keep watching because it was cool and it was, Mm -hmm. like, different than anything else that I've ever seen before. So 
that VHS tape in the basement that was unopened. That's my first experience with Star Wars. And it's kind of funny. My my journey into Star Wars is a little bit unorthodox, I would say. So mm. I watched Empire Strikes Back first. And I, I remember just rewatching that. I, I didn't know there were more. Right. Like, <laughs> I, I didn't know that this was the second movie. So all that confusion of not knowing the context of A New Hope, that was like it was just given for me. I was just like, okay, this is like, this is how this world starts. And my idea of movies was kind of a little bit skewed at that point as well, because I remember also having this Lord of the Rings cartoon. Um, Oh, the animated Lord of the Rings? The the animated Lord of the Rings. And that was the one where it did Fellowship of the Ring and Two Towers, but not all of Two Towers. Like it ended at like a certain point. And that's how I thought the story of Lord of the Rings ended as well. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is how I thought the story of Empire Strikes Back ended because I didn't know that there was Return of the Jedi. I didn't know there was a new hope. So all I ever watched growing up was Empire Strikes Back over and over again. <laughs> and then finally, I remember Attack of the Clones came out and it was my friend's birthday and he was a big Star Wars fan. So for his birthday, his parents took me and a bunch of his friends to go see Attack of the Clones. So Attack of the Clones was the second Star Wars movie I've ever wow. watched. <laughs> so I'm just, and then like, we, we can, we'll talk more about how like, you know, it's probably one of the worst Star Wars movies, but like at a young age, like I saw it in theaters when it came out. Like mm-hmm. when did it come out? Like two, 2002, 2002. or something? Yeah. 2002. Yeah. So I, I would have been like nine. So like a nine-year-old watching Attack Clones is like, this is cool. Yeah. So that's when I really got into the Star Wars lore and I learned that there were other movies <laughs> and the friend that like, he was a big Star Wars fan, so, like, the, at his house, that's where I started watching. Like, I, I watched A New Hope for the first time. I watched Return of the Jedi for the first time. And then I watched Phantom Menace for the first time. And the rest is kind of history. That's how I got into it. That's kind of how I got into Star Wars. Was Empire Strikes Back for the longest time and only thinking that that was the only one that existed. <laughs> that's amazing. And then realizing that there were more movies once Attack of the Clones came out. <laughs> <laughs> you know... <laughs> As if the chronology of Star Wars isn't confusing enough right? on its own <laughs> without then also watching those movies out of order. Yeah. So I guess I, I really, I'm really all about the second, the second movie in the trilogy. Uh, so I, I should have saw Last Jedi first, right? <laughs> yeah, you should have. Well, I think we could all agree The Last Jedi is the best Star Wars movie ever made. <laughs> For sure. You know, just just to, before we get off of The Empire Strikes Back, I, I have to mention in passing that it took me like at least four or five more viewings than I would actually care to admit, where I just thought that Han Solo and Luke were snuggled up in that Tauntaun together. Like, I did not have the context for Han, like, <laughs> building the camp after. And obviously he did, because yeah. he says, it'll keep you warm till I get the shelter up. But I just miss it, and I was just like, well, I guess they both just, like, spoon inside this, like, gross... Tauntaun full of worms until they get rescued. I mean, it's the warmest place, right? (laughs) Oh, you know, those, uh, the guts of the Tauntaun remind me a little bit of the green squigglies in James and the Giant Peach, if they were Mm -hmm. like in in an actual uh, animal kind of thing. I love that, um, that first kind of like 20, 25 minutes of Empire Strikes Back where you get introduced to the rogue squadron and that music plays as they're going. And then I think it's within that time you, you hear the Imperial March for the first time, like these really iconic elements of the star Wars lore that weren't actually there until empire strikes back mm-hmm. where it's just like a perfect mm-hmm. follow up. Now 
I have to admit, of the three of us, I'm in the minority here in that the first Star Wars movie I ever saw was the first Star Wars movie. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. What a, because... what a rule follower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I was six. Yeah, it was, it was it was 93, and somebody gave my parents a copy of A New Hope, but it was just like we didn't have the box set, not the the classic one that I guess probably came out in 97. But uh, it was just, yeah, it was just A New Hope. And so I remember watching that movie, I I guess I was six for the first time, and just being so blown away by the the ships and the sound effects, and especially the music. The music is arguably the best movie music of all time is in Star Wars, I think. Certainly, like, how it affects your emotions for the scenes. But my lasting memory of A New Hope is the cantina scene where Obi-Wan cuts off, what's that guy's name, Pond, Pondababa, something like that? Yeah. The, the walrus dude's arm. <laughs> and it's kind of scary for a kid and like a little bit, a little bit traumatizing. But I remember my lasting thought being like, wow. I need to get a flashlight like that. <laughs> so like, for the first good chunk of my life, I just thought lightsabers were really special flashlights. <laughs> They're just like, they shoot out and they make a cool sound and they light up where you need to go. They're even called lightsabers. So <laughs> there's a word in it right there. And then the other enduring image is just the stormtroopers running around, but not really doing anything i remember even i remember even thinking like what do these things even do they just fall down or get shot like that's it (laughs) that's my first and then i think i watched it i think i probably watched a new hope like four or five times before i saw any of the other uh movies okay and so i had really internalized kind of all the scenes with R2 and 3PO as they're together and then apart then together again and like the Jawas were quite established in my understanding of Star Wars even before Yoda was kind of thing so it's like kind of funny to look back on that it seems to me that something maybe in all three of us is like there's certainly at least a a very like passionate fascination with Mm -hmm. what we were watching right which is kind of like I think a good stand-up broom. Ah, <laughs> oh, shit! Wrong podcast. <laughs> well, wait, a good wait. Segue. I, I have a question though. I got a question before we stand-up broom. Luke, did you know yeah. that there were other movies, uh, other sequels after A New Hope, or did you just like only have A New Hope and you watched that for a while, and then someone was like, "Hey, Luke, check it out. More Star Wars," and you're like, "How? What kind of magic? How did you do this? Like, were you aware of the trilogy, or was it just like?" Mm, I don't remember. I don't remember if I knew there were other movies and I didn't have them or if this was the only one. Because I don't think I saw Empire Strikes Back probably till I was about eight or nine. I do remember it was a taped, like off the off off TV taped right, with tracking right. lines and pausing for commercials and then unpausing <laughs> when they come back on. So I remember that was the first time I ever saw Empire was like that. It might not even have been the whole movie. It might have started a little late. Maybe you just borrowed <laughs> I like how... my parents had. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe I'm Boba Fett. Damn it. So I don't I don't think I knew that there were other ones, but I don't remember. Okay. But definitely a common theme, 
I do remember or or I do feel like I notice about people who love Star Wars today is that almost everyone does have a kind of like unique first memory of Star Wars and it's almost always like between the ages of five and eight. <laughs> Most people like that's like around when it is. The major formulative years, right? Yeah. And so as as probably a lot of listeners will know, on my other podcast, Really True Fiction, the second episode my co-host Dave and I did was on Star Wars, um, specifically the original trilogy. And we talk for, I think it's like two hours and 45 minutes about uh, <laughs> the original trilogy. So a certainly more exhaustive outlining of my thoughts can be found there. But I, I, I wonder, like, maybe... What what do you two think it is about Star Wars that makes people fall in love with it when they experience it as a child? I mean, I have my thoughts as well, but I've I talked about it a little bit. I want to hear yours first. So, Billy, why don't you why don't you tell me what do you, what do you think it is that people fall in love with when they watch Star Wars for the first time? I think if you watch Star Wars when you're little, then it's easier to fall in love with it than say if you were to watch Star Wars for the first time as an adult. And I think because obviously your average adult brain is more critical of things you're seeing. And whereas like with, with kids, you're just sort of like accepting it and being like, ah, this is great. Like it, you, you're again, what Alex said, it's the emotions, right? It's like how you feel looms so large in your mind that like it colors everything over with this brush. And I think that especially for kids of the eighties and nineties, that this was like a time when there was one lot of Star Wars movies. It was this one thing that happened. George Lucas had ideas for other stuff, but it certainly hasn't turned into what it is nowadays, which is like a movie every couple of years and like a million TV shows and comic books and novels. And like, there's so many things that take Star Wars and, and pull it out into this expanded universe if you'll permit me that um (laughs) you know it was the original trilogy was all we had growing up and so it was like it gave you this setting and it told you a story but you could just see from looking around and looking at every single like set dressing and every cantina every alien in that cantina like i remember when i finally saw that cantina scene i was like who's that guy what is that thing hey that's a devil is that dude just wearing a spacesuit like that's (laughs) that's neat like you know like there's just all these little tiny things that like makes the universe so rich and then you don't really get to see it so it's like like yeah this is all Mm -hmm. in here but what we're doing is we're watching this like farm boy and his grandpa or somebody and his like two (laughs) two friends like (laughs) and i think like I notice it fully when I talk to kids at our old job about it because Mm -hmm. they have the same, they felt the same way about star Wars rebels, the TV show that I felt about the original trilogy. And they, they knew of Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader and, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi. And these were all people that they were familiar with, but they had the same love and affection for the characters in this TV show, because that's what they saw. And it was the same sort of like Mm -hmm. bright colors, interesting plots. The acting is a little bit clunky. If you watch it as an adult, you're like, Oh boy, these aren't, these people aren't winning Oscars for their acting performances in any of the movies or TV shows. They're always a little bit like weird, but just when you're young and when you're, little and you get a chance to form those things it's just like i don't know it just grabs you and doesn't let go Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. There's so many details to get into to there. I, I really resonated, though, with that point, that point, Billy, of like, especially the original trilogy. I mean, all of them, I guess. But when you watch it like as an adult, I think, of course, what comes to mind is like all of the things that are just kind of assumed in the plot of Star Wars that they don't dwell on at all. And I think that's kind of one of the reasons why it's a little bit harder to buy in for adult audiences. But why I think they work so well for kids and certainly did for me is that Star Wars is kind of like unapologetically an adventure movie and it Mm -hmm. sacrifices basically everything for the adventure. And that works because adventures are unbelievably compelling, especially to kids. And so thinking back, like the pacing of the original trilogy is basically perfect if the kind of story you're trying to tell is peaking in excitement like every seven minutes like there's like (laughs) the characters are kind of always in jeopardy right there's kind of always if it's if it's not the tuscan raiders it's the stormtroopers at the cantina coming to look for them or it's they're going to be found out in the detention block and leia's got to save their skins or there's it's that monster in the the trash Trash compactor compactor. yeah yeah i forget his name starts with a d diagnoga yeah, there it is. Just take A New Hope. I mean, I think all the movies do this, but A New Hope is basically like a recurring theme of characters in danger and then escaping, right? In danger, escaping, in danger. And like using the skill sets of all of the characters to do that somehow. And certainly, I mean, obviously I can't think about it like this when I'm six, but thinking about it now, six-year-old Luke watching that movie is watching Star Wars in a similar way that I now watch a sports game I really care about because it's exciting and I don't know what's going to happen next, but I care about it. Mm. And I think that that's, that's kind of, at least for me, was the nucleus of how, and like it had all this great window dressing of like maybe the greatest sound effects ever and ships I'd never seen before and cool names for things and cool characters. But because you end up really caring about the characters. Like even 3PO and R2, like R2 right at the beginning, like we don't know anything about the Jawas. We don't know what they want, and but we care about R2. We've seen him from the beginning. He's attached <laughs> to us, even subconsciously. It's like, yeah. he's in danger already. Like it's just like this <laughs> recurring theme of danger and escape. And so for me, it was the unadulterated commitment to adventure and danger and overcoming that danger that is very compelling as a story. So that's what that made me think of too. But what do you, what do you think, Alex? What do, what do you, what's your take on why people fall in love with this? Um, I don't know why people fall in love with it, but like, I will say why <laughs> I fell in love with it. Um, yeah. Okay. Kind of going back to my original point, like I had no idea what was going on, but just like everything about it kept me in. And it was through rewatching and rewatching and actually listening to the the dialogue that I slowly started to form like an understanding of the plot of Empire Strikes Back. Like, I, and then it's one of those rare rare phenomenons where it's like I don't care that I don't understand it. I just want to keep <laughs> watching. Um, yeah, because everything about it is just so cool. Like the spectacle of it. One thing I I, I kind of related to the characters in the original trilogy. Um, especially in Empire Strikes Back, is how isolated everything was, right? Like, there was never, like, I, th- I think outside of Bespin, you think that this universe that exists is, like, everyone is, like, scattered and, like, 
people don't live in homes and things like that and they're always on the move there's something about that that I, I kind of related to like I don't know maybe I'm reaching a little too far but like you kind of get got a sense of like even though these characters didn't have a home they had a sense of belonging because they had each other and that's kind of what I wanted as well right um, I wanted a group of friends that I could count on through danger and you know when you're a kid you 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 always I think playing with imagination was one of the things I did the most as a kid right like I would strap on like a toy sword and a cape and run around. Um, I had a PC, like I had this flexible little pipe tubing that my dad drilled two holes in and tied string and I had a bow. Like it was so fucking, like th- th- that's what I did to pass the time. And um, Star Wars gave me this universe where I could imagine myself in in it, mm-hmm. right? Like I would be like, what if I was a rebel running from this evil empire? And then what if I was a Jedi? Like those kinds of things. Like anytime I wanted to play like in the schoolyard with friends and like, you know, we we all like a lot of us had common interests, like, you know, how kids play pretend and all that stuff. A big default that we would do is let's play Star Wars, right? (laughs) And like on the playground, we're like, you know, punching on the bars, like we're going to hyper, like we're we're jumping to hyperspace, (laughs) right? Like I think just the world that, was given to me through Star Wars was something that I, I was never bored of it. You know, mm-hmm. there was always yeah. something Star Wars related that I could do, whether it be absolutely yeah, play an imaginary game on the playground or find a cardboard box at home and like be like, I'm going into my X-Wing, you know, things like that. And that's just, I think Star Wars and Lord of the Rings are the only two things have that have ever done this for me as a kid. And that's why those two mediums are so special to me, like those two franchises. And Star Wars just hits a little bit differently because because of all those added extra emotions that I got when I was five uh, watching mm. it for the first time. It's something that, like, no matter how much older I get um, and how much I experience living, looking back on these particular memories it's always happy for me, right? Like, mm-hmm. I can kind of think back as a kid, like, haha, little Alex just running around the playground, waving a stick around, thinking it's a lightsaber, <laughs> what an idiot. But then I look back fondly on that, right? Um, yeah. I, I look back on such, with such happiness, thinking about those kinds of memories that really nothing else has done that for me but Star Wars. And that's that's why I love it so much. Yeah, I mean, that's such a good point. <laughs> Star Wars is, it's so amenable to imagination and play acting and Mm. creativity and like adopting of the roles for yourself similar to lord of the rings and i think it's because like it's so uncomplicated that even kids can understand that the the heroes on screen are doing something important and worthwhile and a little risky and they're doing it for a good cause i mean like it's so in star wars it's the light side or the dark side it's hard to get more kind of clear in the messaging than that right yeah that's good it's like compelling to also like engage your imagination which is totally true like obviously even today we like kids dress up as ray or Mm -hmm. finn or or kylo ren for halloween or something like that like it's a it's a it's back in the culture for kids to play with and then they have their own heroes of their own era which is really cool too Mm mm-hmm 
I had some very, very uh, George Michael level lightsaber skills when I was. Oh yes, I was, yeah, just very. <laughs> yes. I, I did as well, <laughs> which is another reason why I love Arrested Development so much. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. As the two of you know, I am certainly more partial to the original trilogy than mm-hmm. e- either the prequels or the sequels. Though I, the sequel trilogy. Although I am very willing to admit, I think there are extremely great parts of both the prequel trilogy and the sequel trilogy and some really awesome new motifs. But maybe it's just nostalgia and I'm letting that be chauvinistic in my thinking about them (laughs) purely. But I also think the advantage that the original trilogy had that the other two don't is that it had the advantage of not having expectations on it. Kind of like the first three seasons of Arrested Development, actually, now that you mention it. (laughs) So it was free to be to one. Now, I don't know this to be true for a fact, but my intuition says that George Lucas didn't necessarily intend for Star Wars to be a massive expanded universe, which is why I think the original trilogy is written kind of the way it is. It's quite a tight story. It's very, like, open and closed there's the Empire and the Rebels, and at the end of Return of the Jedi, the Rebels win. And mm-hmm. I've read some stuff over the last, especially with like the Mandalorian, Mandalorian taking place like five years after Return of the Jedi in the timeline. Some of the cathartic excitement years. of the end of the Jedi. Oh, is it ten years? Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, the like the idea that some of the kind of like cathartic emotionality from the end of Return of the Jedi is lost a bit because we mm-hmm. in return of the jedi the empire's defeated well not really they're just kind of scattered and now there's like sectarianism <laughs> and it's 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 yeah. not it's not as like clean cut let's say mm-hmm. and so whether lucas intended for a much more expanded star wars universe or not i have kind of like bifurcated my mind into two different ways of talking about the original trilogy one as in it's part of a much bigger universe with its own plot points, which some land better than others, and that's fine. But then also, like, my more cherished version is the original trilogy as its own three-movie story that stand alone and are kind of, like, exempt from the critiques of, uh, well, how did Uncle Owen not recognize (laughs) 3PO after having lived with him for 10 years, even though that does annoy me, (laughs) kind Mm. of thing. So I don't know. Like, what do you... I guess, what do you think about that? Like, I guess this is a, a confession of mine. I feel like I I have the uh, the original trilogy has kind of been compromised a little bit, in my opinion, by some of the plot points in later movies and mm. in later canon that I consciously choose to not apply retrospectively again to the original <laughs> trilogy. And like, that could just be a, a thing. I mean, like, do you feel like it deserves to be its own thing or is it? better viewed as part of the greater story like how do you feel about all of that maybe alex you can go first because you i don't know like i find that as the years have kind of gone on and more time has passed and i've been given a little bit more time to kind of reflect on both the uh prequels and the um like the new trilogy Mm -hmm. that that i i'm i feel like i'm a lot more forgiving of the prequels and the 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 newer trilogy and i think it's more so because i think i've grown past the idea that star wars is just for me as selfishly as like as as stupid and selfish as that sounds right like yeah yeah, yeah. i think i think a lot of the the nostalgia that i look back on with the original trilogy that has kind of um that's fallen away a bit as i've i've gotten a bit older and i don't feel 
as invested in it. I still feel incredible amounts of love and nostalgia for it, but I don't feel as personally invested because because as I've grown up, what I find, you know, the most important to me, things shift, right? Um, so, you know, what, what I found incredibly important in, I don't know if you could call it the sanctity of the prequels, that, sanctity, that eh? importance <laughs> has fallen a little bit on me. And <laughs> I'm now of the belief that Star Wars is for everybody and that, mm-hmm. you know, whatever faults that you know, are very obvious in the prequels and the sequels. I think that some some people find something out of it. And there are parts in both the sequels and prequels that I that have made it to my top Star Wars moments of all time list as well. And I think execution wise it wasn't great, but I think I'm able to forgive it because I, I guess I've come to understand that other people see value out of some out of this thing and if if other people see value in that then i was kind of able to think a little bit more critically it's like well if if they Mm. see value in it what kind of value do i see in it and i did i did find value in it i think as poorly executed as the prequels were it is telling us a further story about anakin as a character and how he got to become darth vader and in a way, it is kind of a, a beautiful tragedy. It is, it's a story worth telling. I think it would have been a disservice to not tell that story. And, mm-hmm. you know, as, as, as poorly done as it was, anytime that there's opportunity to tell more stories, is it, tell more Star Wars stories, the more that I've grown up that I, I, I feel that, yes, I, I would be like, yeah, more Star Wars stories, bring them on. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I, 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 I don't, I don't hate the prequels and sequels as much as no. I did even even two or three years ago. I think as time has passed by, I'm like, it's a thing. It's it, it's happened. It's like whether I want it or not, it is part of Star Wars. And yeah. if I'm to call myself someone that loves Star Wars, I have to take the good with the bad. <laughs> yeah. I don't I know if that really like... answered your question, but. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, I was thinking about this for a while about like how how does my heart hold star wars and and how that reconciles with the larger star wars universe and everybody else has their own experience with star wars i mean even people who have never ever ever watched a single star wars still know no phrases like use the force and uh you know they know like jedi mind tricks it's like one of those those Hmm. movies and franchises that is percolated throughout every facet of society in some way or another. I remember reading a book on the 40th anniversary of star Wars and the author was trying to find somebody who had zero reference for star Wars. And I think they were able to maybe find some people who were out on an indigenous reservation somewhere in like the desert in the U S like, and that was like it. Otherwise other people had like concept for, you know, a villain breathing weirdly, even if it was just that tenuous, like it was, you know, like, like, like the, the fingerprints of star Wars are all over every single thing. But my sort of relationship with star Wars and the trilogies kind of mirrors, I think it's growing population. Like I never, obviously I was too young to see the original trilogy when it aired. Return of the Jedi came out a couple years before I was born. It was 82 or 81. I can't remember. 83, 1973, 83, 83. <laughs> shake down. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, like return of the Jedi came out 
two years before I was born. So it was like already complete. All the questions in that trilogy had been answered by the time I came along. And so Mm -hmm. I was only ever going to see it the way I saw it and watching it in my own little bubble, like my own little bubble of one. It was like, okay, this is a movie and I'm liking it because now my opinion is just my opinion. And when the prequel trilogy came along, it was in the time where I had had you know, playground games with friends talking about Star Wars. I had a friend group that, you know, was also interested in Star Wars and they announced these prequels and it was like, oh my gosh, new Star Wars movies. That's going to be exciting. And so you kind of grew up like talking with other people and like things they would say would color your opinion and like things you would say would color their opinion. So it's not as holistically as just like Star Wars movie, my brain, I'm making my own decision about it. And then like the sequel trilogy goes into even bigger because that was... The, the prequel trilogy, Revenge of the Sith, came out in 2005. So it was like there was social media, but it didn't look at all like social media now. And just like all of the mm-hmm. conversation and the worldwide, everybody had a take on Star Wars when the sequel trilogies were coming out in 2015, right? Everybody had a question about who is this? What is this? What does this mean? And then, of course, there's all the like foo about the last jedi where you know fans hated it and they wanted to remake it and that just sort of like really tainted it to be like there's like a bunch of loud people who are saying like you're wrecking my childhood and that like sort of turned me off of star wars for a little bit but it's i just had to think back like when i was young when i was little when i first saw it it just hit me in the perfect spot and i'll always have that experience like i'll always have the first time mm-hmm. i watched empire strikes back yeah, yeah, yeah and they can make 10 million bad movies they can make a, a whole movie series about every single clone in the clone wars and it's still not gonna like diminish the fact that i got to watch empire strikes back in my basement and it was a formative experience for me blah blah blah, blah. and i think that because like that memory is mine and you can't touch it i think i can keep that safe and then like interact with the rest of the star wars universe in the way that is like good and healthy and soul-filling for me rather than like getting drawn into a debate about you know people hating on the last jedi because they muddied the waters with oh the rebels also bought you know ships so they're also bad question mark and like (laughs) all that like it's just like no i don't need to i can i can put that aside if you want to have that debate fine i'm not gonna like wade Mm -hmm. into that water i'm just gonna stay here and watch empire strikes back and have a blast (laughs) so yeah (laughs) yeah no that all makes sense and the thing that is so enjoyable to me about the original trilogy still is that mm-hmm. I have copies of the original cut. So it's like the 77, the 80, and the 83 yeah. version of them. And so it doesn't have the overlay of the um, extra kind of like CGI stuff that uh, that George Lucas did at one point, which is fine. Like, I think that that's, it's fun too. But like one of the things McClunky. that I was thinking about yeah, like um, <laughs> I guess this is a kind of a bridge to also talking about the prequels because, sure. again, I think the prequels, I have definitely softened on them as well over time. There was a good little chunk of time where I was like anything but prequels, <laughs> like you know, <laughs> ABP or something. But you know, like over time, I've been able to appreciate, especially you and McGregor's performance as Obi Wan, as really tying that prequel trilogy back to the original trilogy. 
and mm-hmm. really appreciating the lore and the background and and why Anakin had his fall, which is a very compelling storyline. But the part that I still feel is what makes me not buy into the prequels in the same way is the aesthetic one. So at the time, obviously, CGI, CGI being like this brand new kind of like technological advancement. And like when Phantom Menace was coming out, I was old enough. I was 12 when Phantom Menace came out. Like I remember what a big deal it was. Like Mm. this is still super early days of the internet, but like it was everywhere on every television on every, like there were posters all over the place. Like this was a massive deal. I just remember seeing Phantom Menace and thinking to myself, this doesn't look like Star Wars. And Mm. I think it's like one of the things that was kind of off-putting for fans at the time and I still think is a little bit of a is a hard thing for me is how with all of the CGI which is like really cool obviously you can't really make Coruscant unless you're going to make CGI right like that's just (laughs) implausible for for um, a movie I've always found myself drawn to the 1970s interpretation of what futuristic technology will look like right so like the the targeting computer and like how like video gamey from the seventies it looks like <laughs> and all of the kind of like clunky um futuristic interpretation of what spaceships will look like and uh, what they're like beep boop beep boards will look like and how like <laughs> everything like an entire installation could be hacked by a single droid with one little brip, brip, brip. like it's just <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so it's like all hardware no software kind of thing <laughs> and and I just, I, I guess I, I, I felt uh, if I'm, if I'm going to give it like the, the most clear kind of like retrospective thought, like that aesthetic is something that I felt was lost from the prequel trilogy was the kind of like, they, they looked like people who, and I never mind like the technological advancements that make all of the characters have better ability than later in time. Like, I don't, I don't even mean that. I just mean how the look of the original trilogy makes it it's very 70s i guess and there's like an infusion of of the 70s look that i actually really appreciate in the sequel trilogy how they brought that back well and also to to rogue one like the the rogue with the sort of side story rogue one they really captured that 1970 I, I i remember reading stories about actors being like yeah we like had 70s mustache growing contests so we could like physically inhabit the part and all the like props and, mm-hmm. and costumes also looked like that. And so, yeah, I think that's like, because that's what we saw first. That's like, that's what star Wars looks like. And the prequel came in and everything was shiny and smooth and like curves mm-hmm. and points. And it was just like, this isn't, this isn't star Wars. This is some like fancy planet called Naboo. <laughs> and there's like weird donut ships. Okay. I, I mean, I, I don't like it. Cause it doesn't look like show me my X-wing. I want to see my X-wings and my Star yeah, Wars, yeah, yeah. please. And thank well, you. Yeah. Do you remember that scene in revenge of the Sith where, um, it's with bail Organa and I think captain and Antilles and they're walking through the Tantive four. And mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, 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 it's like the, it's like the first shot of the movie where they're on a physical <laughs> set. And yeah, you're like, yeah. Whoa, where did this come from? This looks exactly like a new hope. Yeah, exactly. So, what are your thoughts on the prequels? I know you started a little bit, Alex, but like, feel free to yeah, flesh um, it out a bit more. I mean, kind of just going off your point about how it looks different, and you know, just obviously the CGI technology had improved to a point where they wanted to CGI a lot of things, and 
a lot of it has not aged well, but the way that I kind of look at the look of the prequels and then the original trilogy in terms of just the techno, like not even just like actual how ships look, how people dressed and how it was just more bright and brightly lit is that the way that I kind of view it now and my understanding of it is that like this was kind of the golden age of this universe and then you know the Mm. empire came and everything became more rugged and tough Mm -hmm. and there's no there's no time to make things look nice it's more about efficiency so you know in in some ways like i feel like that's kind of where the art direction was trying to go for for the prequels is that you know like this is the renaissance of our time and then Mm. um you know, Palpatine made everything bad. <laughs> so now we have, we're, we're like, we're, we're on pure survival mode and there's no time for beauty. Right. So like, as, as, I, as I've grown up a little bit and have been like a little bit more critical past the Anakin acting bad, you know, like, <laughs> yes. like once I've gone past that and I'm able to look at it a little bit more, I, I feel a little bit more appreciation towards the the, uh, the prequels in, in terms of like the style of of it and like, I just think it was it was neat because it is this it's this Star Wars world that is exploring more than what we've known. And even like you you go back to Tatooine in in Phantom Menace, like it still looks the same, right? Like it's still hard, it's rugged, it's boxy, but like all the places in the in the original trilogy uh outside of maybe Cloud City is like these are not good living living conditions these are people on the run these are people trying to like set up like a base in like so that they can leave and evacuate in 30 minutes right like it's not meant for comfort but i think the prequels really did a good job at showing like how the world or how the the universe was before before the sith took over before the galactic empire and i i I like to i like that kind of contrast and it makes it gives me i think that like just the thought of that like gives me a little bit more even more appreciation towards the the original trilogy contextually right seeing how how things have changed because of this plot so yeah so that's 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 kind of building on your point about how just things look different that's that's kind of how i see it now i like that take i hadn't considered that before that's that's awesome <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and then in terms of like the prequels i do there there is there's always a soft spot in my heart for the prequels and as funny as it is there's a big soft spot for attack of the clones in my heart because (laughs) attack of clones is the second star wars movie i've ever seen and i remember watching the theaters and being blown away by it obviously looking back critically now it's like yeah this this movie's not great like the dialogue is very poor the telling (laughs) the story of anakin and padme was done like not great but I just remember leaving the theater after watching Attack of Clones being like, wow, I didn't know, like, watching Yoda fight was so cool. Yeah. Like, Dooku shooting Force Lightning was so cool. The whole Coliseum fight with, and then, like, a hundred Jedi show up, that was incredible to me. Like, the spectacle of it was just, Mm -hmm. like, it blew me away. And I would, I would argue that Empire Strikes Back is what got me into Star Wars, but Attack of the Clones is what kept me going and wanting me to find out more about this world. I remember buying um, from the book fair the uh, the visual <laughs> visual uh, dictionary. Um, I know how you know how every Star Wars movie mm-hmm. there's like a visual dictionary yeah. with like yep, yep. pages of like the world and like 
this is the lightsaber and there'd be little diagrams like this is the emitter this is where you put in your your, your kyber <laughs> crystal or whatever um, <laughs> yeah and i i had the attack of the clones one and i just poured over it because oh, nice. i wanted to know more about this world and it's funny luke i think you you actually seen that because i i, I donated it yeah. to the club yeah so it, yeah. it it might still live on there at <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, it, it got me so involved in the lore and I wanted to learn everything about it. So that's why Attack of the Clones has like a soft spot in my heart. And, you know, there, there's like there's parts of the prequels that make my top list of Star Wars moments. Just off the top of my head, pod racing in Phantom Menace <laughs> is fun. And to this day, even rewatching it, it's like poor acting aside, the not so like the dated CGI as well, but like just the idea of a child that i could relate to right mm. like a nobody being able to overcome all odds and like race for his his freedom and his mom's freedom you know little twist little twist mom doesn't get free but like like <laughs> having having such huge stakes on a child was like was cool to me right mm-hmm. like hmm. i i'd be okay. like I, I i remember watching phantom menace and be like Anakin looks just like me and he's able to do this like why can't I do this and like you know that's a that's the first sense of wonder as a kid it's like what can't I do um and then (laughs) duel of fates like Mm -hmm. when Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon are fighting Darth Maul um I maintain is out of all Star Wars movies is the best lightsaber sequence of any movie um like absolutely loved it the music the emotion that you see you and McGregor have when when Qui-Gon gets killed um, and just the, the stakes involved with it and just like a double-sided lightsaber like that's something that we've never seen before and <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, unheard yeah. of and it's it's so cool so like yeah those two moments in Phantom Menace and then in uh, Attack of the Clones the whole the mystery behind trying to figure out like where the clones came from or like where, where the dark came from that killed uh Zam yeah, 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 yeah. Zam Wessel uh, like I, I yeah and uh, like <laughs> I, I always thought, like, Obi-Wan has always been my favorite Star Wars character. And I think, like, we see a lot more of him in Ewan McGregor in the prequels. And I think, like, I actually, I think Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan is my favorite iteration of Obi-Wan. And then in Revenge of the Sith, just, like, when they're freeing Palpatine from Grievous' ship, that whole sequence of them escaping and crashing on the planet, and then, like, that final fight scene between Obi-Wan and Anakin. Like, these are all sequences and scenes and storytelling that has been etched into what i love about star wars so Mm -hmm. um as as much as much as like we like to rag on the prequels and (laughs) it's funny because i didn't actually rag on the prequels until i got to maybe high school and like was surrounded by other people that like started talking about how bad the prequels were and i'd be like oh well i don't want to feel left out and like when i thought critically (laughs) about it yeah this was bad but like now looking back back again it's like Yes, just like what I did like, like yeah. some parts of the prequels, but I loved other parts of it, and those parts are define Star Wars to me just as much as Luke finding out that Vader is his dad, or you know Luke blowing up the Death Star in A New Hope. Like those, those are Star Wars moments to me. And when I think about Star Wars moments, I don't think about oh, was it prequel? Was it sequel? Was it original right. trilogy? it's purely star wars moments for me mm-hmm. and i think that's why i'm able to look back on the prequels with a little bit of fondness because they provided those moments for me and they're part of my memory and um mm-hmm. you know 
it's what got me to keep wanting to know more about Star Wars. Um, mm-hmm. Is because because of the prequels, yeah. What a what a yeah. tale. What's your relationship with the prequels like, Billy? Yeah, like I kind of alluded to earlier, my relationship with the prequels is informed by the time of life I was in where I was like consuming content with groups of people rather than just on my own. Like, so 99, when episode one came out, I was like just about to leave junior high, like just getting into high school. And I remember just everyone being really hyped up about the Phantom Menace coming up, uh, coming out. I was in my first year of marching band or second year of marching band, maybe. Yeah. Which, you know, yes, I was in marching band. I'm a nerd, but here we are on a podcast talking about star Wars. So (laughs) 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 just, that was one thing where I remember the first time people would watch a trailer and then talk about what that trailer means. And I had never really embodied the idea of, you know, what, what, what is this movie trailer? Like it's a snippet of the movie. It like gets you excited. Cause like either they didn't do very many trailers. I think they did. Like, I think I was just unaware of them, but like, I remember my awareness coming full form into like watching the Phantom Menace. And then I remember watching it, and having misgivings and being like, I don't know if this was very good. I liked some parts of it. And then there was a lot of peer pressure and other people saying like, oh, no, this was no good. So I was like, yes, OK. Other people are confirming this like suspicion I have. This is no good. But there are there are parts of the prequels that are just fun. And when you can watch it a little bit dispassionately, I think, then there are exciting moments in it and like i remember getting to go see phantom menace in the theaters after a performance like we did a parade and i was so excited to leave that like leave that parade after and i was like i'm gonna go see star wars tonight everybody Woo! and it was like this huge thing it was this big spectacle when attack of the clones came out i was in grade 11 and my friends from school we waited in line at the movie theater for seven hours beforehand like it was one of those things (laughs) where you had to line up to get a seat in the theater we had gotten our tickets we got to the theater at about i don't know noon and the showing wasn't until like eight or nine at night and we just sort of like sat there and traded off and we're like okay we're gonna watch it might have even been a midnight screening of, of attack of the clones if i really remember it. Yeah, because I think, yeah, I think it was a midnight screen because we left after school and school would have gotten out around three. We went to go line up for the midnight showing and just like literally sat in the hallway of the movie theater and chatted with people. One one person would leave and go to the food court and get like a snack and then come back and we'd save their spot in line. And it was such a community thing that like I would go in and I was so hyped and we had like, we would listen to the soundtrack. We bought the soundtrack and it was like, oh, cool. There's like the love theme between Anakin and Padme. This is a cool song. And like, <laughs> oh, what's this? Like yeah. they're chasing, there's a street chase through Coruscant. Like that sounds cool. I wonder what that's going to be like in the movie. Right. And like, so you can't really help, but get hyped up about it. And then I think really watching it for the first time, I was like, oh no, are star Wars movies, maybe not good. If you take them like critically, like <laughs> <laughs> just because yeah. there were, it was so like clunky and it was so, ridiculous and fair play to everybody who acted in those movies because it i've seen behind the scenes footage of dealing with the 
CGI and it was like, okay, Ewan McGregor, can you react against this tennis ball that we're just going to wave around? And it's like, yeah, that would be really hard for an actor to do. Like, you know, it's just, they, they didn't have that skill set of acting against nothing yet that I think was born out of this era. And now people can do it a lot better. And so like in some ways, you know, maybe star Wars prequels had to crawl so that the Mandalorian could run and like, the, you know, <laughs> the right. effects have gotten better and the technology has gotten better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like um, th- their unfortunate placement in time and technology meant that they took this big swing and it just like still was a little bit out of their reach to get exactly what they wanted. And so it ages poorly. Like if you watch the original trilogy and then watch the prequel trilogy, as I've recently gone through, the effects age so much worse in the prequel trilogies. Like they look... Mm-hmm. very very plasticky there's no weight to anything everybody's like flying around and it's because they like they just didn't have the language or the nuance yet and they had to cut their teeth on something and it just happened to be star wars yeah i remember just like watching the the movies as they came out i was getting into the hype and the prequels just made me more excited to rewatch the original trilogy like i'd watch you know, Attack of the Clones, and then I'd go home and be like, "All right, 1996 THS edition, like THX edition. Let's let's watch you and just like slip back into mm-hmm. like the comfy world of the the original trilogy." But now that I've grown up, and there's so many memes about like the Star Wars trilogies and like watching them and knowing more of the lore, it's it's really easy just to be like, "Ah, oh, this is all just stupid fun. It's just stupid pretend fun with laser swords and." you know ships mm-hmm. and clones and whatever like it doesn't getting mad about it isn't gonna like make me feel better <laughs> i'm just gonna watch this movie yeah 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 <laughs> yeah no that makes a lot of sense do you find that i know this is a fact for me but like do you find that as you've grown up a bit that it's just so much better to be a fan of star wars than to be a fanatic of it yeah absolutely i think i think the people who want star wars to feel like it did when they were 10 are missing the whole point of star wars and that there are people who watch every movie when they are 10 and they feel like that and sorry dude that you don't feel like that anymore but like that's just (laughs) that's just not how it's going to hit you and yeah you know i think there's no way to no way to do it right because if they made a a prequel movie that was well i mean we can kind of talk about this when we get the sequels but i really liked the force awakens and a lot of the people I heard criticizing the force awakens were just like, Oh, way to just remake a new hope JJ Abrams. And like, it was like, well, you know what? You got what you wanted. You got your little nostalgic hug and now you're mad about that. So it's like, I don't know. I don't know, man. Just like, like the movie. (laughs) Yeah. I just think like, sometimes like if I'm being like, if, if I'm getting overly critical thoughts about something, I think about the 10 year old that watched uh, rise of Skywalker and felt the same way I did when I watched Empire for the first time, right? And who am I to deny how they feel? Like, if they feel the same love about Star Wars after watching Rise of Skywalker that I felt when I watched Empire Strikes Back for the first time, isn't that a good thing, right? That adds onto that magic of Star Wars is like, you know how, Luke, you said, like, the formulative years of, like, five to eight of watching it for the first time? Like, I think a lot of adults that watch star wars for the first time in their life they don't get it right mm-hmm. um like i i have friends that have never seen star wars before and i tell them to watch it and um they're like i don't get it and you know that that's a fact that i've accepted is like 
Star Wars is is stupid fun. And <laughs> if you're looking at it in a critical adult eye, like you lose you lose the point of it. So I'm happy if there's that ten year old out there that feels the same way I feel about Star Wars after watching whatever Star Wars Absolutely. movie for the first time, right? Like, isn't that a good thing? And um, I think that that's kind of what what has gotten me over being like a prequel hater is there's there's other kids out there that love Star Wars as much as I do, but they feel the same. They, but they they just watched the different movie at a certain different time in their life than I did, you know. <laughs> Yeah, maybe the maybe the biggest criticism we could give of the prequels is that we watched them for the first time when we weren't kids. Exactly. I mean, I, yeah. I watched it for the first. I, I watched it for the first time when I was a kid, which is why, which is why, like, I think out of the three of us, I think I'm the most forgiving and look back on the prequels with a little bit more nostalgia than the two of you would, just because Attack of the Clones was at that critical point in my life. Like, I, I think I watched sure. it when I was in the fourth grade. So like perfect age of watching mm-hmm. Star Wars for That's the like first perfect time, Star Wars age. I had yeah. All this... yeah. So I'm able to forgive its shortcomings a lot more because like I was still so enamored by everything else about it that makes Star Wars Star Wars. Yeah, I think just one sort of cap off the my my thoughts around the prequels. I watched them in a time where, you know, like it was a it was a change. Like it was high school university, like the whole, like my world was broadening and I was kind of like, Oh, star Wars. I remember really liking this. And then it wasn't what I remembered. Cause it was a different thing. And instead of, you know, the first time I watched it, instead of like embracing it for the difference and seeing what the new thing was, I was just like, Oh, this is, this feels different to me. And I don't, I don't like it. And there's a lot of things that feel different to me right now. And it's very scary. And I just want my star Wars to be the same. And mm-hmm. I think that sort of colored it for a while, but now you can look back and just be like, well, yeah, I'll watch the pod racing scene. I will skip most of attack of the clones. And then I'll watch uh, revenge of the Sith with revenge <laughs> of the Sith with the sound off. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I I have definitely mellowed. I've mellowed in like many areas of my life, which might be hard for the two of you to believe, but it's true. <laughs> <I> <laughs> if you had seen it. me in my if you'd seen me in my early 20s, I would have been completely untakeable on a lot of these things. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a lot more generosity to offer towards the prequels. I do think the story is like the development of Anakin and his fall is a really compelling storyline. But I guess, well, both of you are talking. I wanted to float an idea to the two of you to chew on to see what you think about this. And it's not, it's kind of tangential to like why we love Star Wars, but I think that may be the point of it. Sorry, I won't that... do a tangent. Okay. It's not, I'm not going to go down tangents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I have found that when I think about it, the reason I love Star Wars is so much based around the feel of it, the music, the adventure, the way that the characters relate to each other mm. through and through. And yet, no, no point am I coming around thinking, I love Star Wars because of its plot. I think the plot of Star Wars is arguably the least necessary part of it, which mm, is okay. often why it's kind of glossed over and like, how the fuck does any of this work? Well, that, you're missing the point by asking those kind of questions <laughs> of Star Wars, right? And when I watch the prequels now, this is just a critique. It's not even like, 
Boo's prequels. It's like there is like a significantly larger amount of storyline and plot to the prequels than there is in the original trilogy, which I think was a little confusing for people when they first came across it. Like the whole kind of stuff with the Trade Federation and like trying to understand subterfuge and hidden motives and like this extra kind of like layer of politics with the Jedi Council and all that kind of stuff added in a more kind of like, I don't even know the right author, but like there's this kind of all these other storylines happening in the fog that are really relevant to what we end up seeing on screen that was... I guess for me, I'm, I'm, I'm admitting it as another confession. Like that kind of stuff became distracting from me in the moment away from the things that I do really like about the prequels, which is Obi-Wan and Anakin's growth and tension and Anakin's anxiety around losing Padme and Yoda's apprehension around everything that's going on in the <laughs> prequel trilogy, right? Like I, I really like those things. And I found I was a little distracted from them, A, by Jar Jar Binks, for sure. I mean, we that one just has to be admitted. <laughs> but also that I'm, like, trying to follow around, like, okay, who are the bad guys here exactly? Like, who am I actually following? Like, okay, so the, I know the droids are the bad guys, but now the clones are the good guys. But they're going to be the bad guys. But they're only <laughs> going to be the bad guys because Palpatine has used political savvy to get into the chancellorship and all of that. And, like... It's not that complicated if you pick it apart, but it's a little bit more complicated once you're watching it as a 12-year-old than certainly anything in A New Hope is, right? Like New Hope is very much A to B to C to D. (laughs) So you're not met with any sort of like subconscious placeholding of like, okay, what is actually happening in this scene right now? (laughs) Like I have to really make sure I remember. So I don't know. What what do you think about that? Like I, I guess, and I'm saying this across the board, not just prequels, like Star Wars manifested itself in a more exciting manner to me when it was less interested in its own plot and more interested in its own characters. And I wonder what you think about that. Yeah, I I, I agree with that take for sure. If we're looking at at those those factors, it definitely is a big difference between the original trilogy and the uh, prequels. So I think original trilogy, it's like, it's from set piece to set piece and each set piece has one goal or else something will happen right mm-hmm. like i think it's very straightforward in that whereas prequels have set piece to set piece multiple set pieces just like the the original trilogy but i feel each set piece is going to affect a different set piece you know there's too many interla- interwoven connections that i don't think was a necessarily a bad thing um because you're trying to tell this grander tale of how all these things came to be so you like obviously the prequels are going to have to have a little bit more of a complicated plot than the original trilogy that's the difference and that's probably why they don't feel as paced or as well made as as the uh original trilogy is because the stakes are way higher not on a grand scale but on an affecting another thing scale Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm So you can't just focus on one set piece at a time. So very quickly as an example, um, when Han and Leia, Chewie, and uh, 3PO are flying on the Falcon, escaping, and they are, they find themselves in, you know, the mouth of the, uh, like the the big asteroid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Worm. The cave is collapsing. Yeah, like that, that's a set piece in itself. But what happens to them doesn't really affect what happens to luke's side of the story right Mm, yeah whereas if i'm 
doing comparisons right off the top of my head i'm thinking attack of the clones where anakin and padme are in tatooine and obi-wan is in geonosis but like obi-wan's relying on them to move his set piece forward right yeah and you have these set pieces kind of contrasting where you know there was bits of that where you know luke leaves uh dagobah to go to uh bespin to save his friends but like ultimately they don't really ever interact with each other right that's true and i think the fact that you have all these interwoven pieces in the prequels makes it so if you don't do it incredibly well it's really obvious where plot and pacing fall apart Whereas mm-hmm. in, in the original trilogy, it's like, all I have to do is focus on A mm-hmm. and B, and I don't have to think about what happens when A overlaps with B. I just look at these two things yeah. separately. Whereas when in the original trilogy, it's, or in the prequels, it's like, I got to look at A and B and how A affects B. Oh, but C's coming in as well. So like, I think, I think that, that that's how I would feel about, about the differences between the two. Yeah, I think the original trilogy is very much like, the very straight archetypal hero's journey story, right? Like it hits all those beats. It makes all those markers and it doesn't matter because there's no stakes on it. There's no expectation on it. It doesn't matter what happens after return of the Jedi, because we have a happy ending. The bad guy's defeated and it didn't matter beforehand. And I think what happened with the prequels is there was years of i won't say scholarly debate but just like you know nerd debate and like friends talking <laughs> about like okay well how did the it was board... scholarly and you take that back <laughs> all right I'll, i won't <laughs> but like they had to they, they spent a lot of time sort of like blue skying and thinking about how did the board get set up to set luke on his journey like you know and i feel like they did a lot of working back from like okay well why would there be an empire like okay well maybe that you know and they would have to like do a lot of you know back of the you know napkin math to figure it out and that kind of is messier because it has to boil down to the luke story where it's like okay we need to see the hero's journey go from like Poor kid from nobody ends up saving the universe. Like, okay, that that is almost an easier story to tell than, like, how things got so bad. And I think that, mm-hmm. you know, we don't really get a hero's journey story in the prequel because we're getting Anakin literally, like, the opposite of that. He is falling into the dark side. And the more you can look into the prequels with, like, what does the symbolism mean? I think there's you know, there's better stuff that can be pulled out of it. Like Anakin, for example, I read an article talking about like Anakin had heard stories about the Jedi and they were these big, great saviors of the galaxy. And when he got there, they were just kind of like a lame bureaucratic bunch of dudes who wouldn't let him be a master and wouldn't let him like have a girlfriend. It's and not so fair. He, it's not fair. <laughs> and so like, you know, you can see the disillusionment in him with the like, the stories, you know, the stories don't live up to the live up to the real thing. And I think, you know, we kind of see that a little bit later as Luke talks in the sequel trilogies when he's talking to Ray. But mm-hmm. we'll get to that. But, you know, like I can sort totally see that Anakin is like this teenager who wanted it to be one way and it's different than he thought. So he's like, I'm going to find somebody who does like foster my passions and, and makes me feel good about stuff. And then, it, you know, ends up being the sith oopsie daisy but Mm -hmm. you know um (laughs) (laughs) 
I think the I think the prequel trilogy lends itself more to those sort of longer winded debates and suppositions and how did X become Y so that you know how did this get to this how come there's so many stormtroopers there's not that many people maybe okay clones okay let's write a clone story you know like like all those things just like were spun out of i think people speculating about star wars and it just got a little bit mm-hmm. overburdened mm-hmm. yeah that makes a lot of sense too and actually alex i loved the fact that you brought up the scene in empire with the space slug because i think that's like a perfect encapsulation of why I love the original trilogy so much and why the prequels feel a little convoluted and like too many things going on almost is that I would say arguably that scene is not relevant at all to the plot of the empire strikes back. Like you could have the entire escape happen without them also getting stuck in this slug. But like, (laughs) if you think about it, like there's like a, it's like a five to seven minute screen time and there's like so much character stuff that happens in there. Like if you think about Han Solo, if he, if Han Solo really believes, like you could see it, there's that, there's that section where it kind of dawns on him that they're not in a cave and they might actually be in some sort of animal in space. And what is, what does he do to confirm it? He just shoots, shoots the, ground. the ground. Like that's probably not the right thing to do if that's what you mm-hmm. think. But he's a, he's a fucking cowboy. He doesn't give a fuck. And like, that's just like more in line with his character. Or the scene where the Minoc flies at the screen and 3 is like, ah! Like, just these kind of, like, the, the the manner in which the characters respond to the world around them is so charming and endearing that mm. you don't even care if it's really meaningful to the plot or not, right? Mm. Like, you just, you don't For care. Sure. Like, like, that scene is just as iconic a Star Wars scene as scenes that are ma- meaningful to the story of Star Wars more sure. broadly, like, Absolutely. specifically bringing down the Empire, which I think adds to the charm and why I love it. And prequels definitely had those moments so like i'm thinking of the the um scene in revenge of the sith where anakin and palpatine are at the or at the opera and the story of darth plagueis comes like i'd say arguably you don't need that story to have the fall because we know the emperor comes to power so like his motivation or his feelings like we would buy the story without it, but just like Mm. the extra level of malevolence and the extra uncertainty and doubt put into the mind of Anakin adds so much to the feel. So like, it seems like that definitely exists in the prequels, but there's also just so much other things going on that I think, again, it's, it's just a little distracting, especially when mm-hmm. I was 12 or 15 and trying to f- keep everything in mind while also being like, so what actually is happening? Like who is, who, <laughs> who is the bad guy here? Yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. I mean, you can, you can argue in both prequels and original trilogy, there's a lot of unnecessary stuff, but the unnecessary stuff in, you know, the original trilogy, it's done for like character building, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, great example of like han just straight up shooting shooting the ground Um, (laughs) like that's not smart mm -hmm. but then like i guess because they are prequels that we kind of already know what happens so that Mm. a lot of that like kind of subtle character developing stuff like we don't really care anymore right like um attack of the clones is a love story between anakin and padme but then like there's so much excessive stuff of that being shown it's like we we get it like you're not making me the the way that it was portrayed wasn't like you're not showing me how much they love each other with each scene like i get Mm. it like you don't need to do this anymore um we kind of know that you know 
they end like we're we're gonna know that they end up together and they 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 end they end up having luke and leia but like Mm -hmm. you know like there's like i can i can think of off the time i had three separate scenes of when they're on when they're on uh, naboo where it's like okay like enough is enough there's no need for this like but he feeds her a piece of fruit with the force yeah Yeah. with the force yeah there's one there's the uh there's the confession scene um there's oh sorry four there's the one where he's like rubbing her back by the lake and there's the one where he's riding on the rhino and it runs over him and he feigns being hurt so like like there's so much of that that like it doesn't build that character anymore Mm. It feels too much, and it feels like Lucas is really being like, but look, look at how much in love they are. It's like, okay, Lucas, yeah. we get it. Like, it was like they had a cake, and then they put icing on it, and you're like, ah, perfectly iced, and they were like, and some more icing, and you're like, oh, that's actually too much, and they're like, do you want a little bit more? And you're like, oh, this is ruined now. I don't don't want this. <laughs> yeah, and I feel I feel like a difference, like, because like in, in the original trilogy, we see, we see kind of scenes where Han and Leia are are together and how they fall in love, right? Like um but those are tied in with the plot in a more reasonable way. Mm. Like Anakin and 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 Padme are on Naboo because she has to escape because there's an assassin, but like that's all four of those scenes that or all five of those things that we just talked about, they're on Naboo for that same reason. But like in mm-hmm. in um the the original trilogy, uh, the times that Han is alone with Leia and you see their relationship forming, um, like when he's fixing the Falcon, they're stuck in this location and he's fixing the Falcon and she's fixing it and he comes in to like help her out and they have a conversation. There's a reason they're there is because the Falcon's broken and to fix it. But all the other scenes of them developing that relationship isn't just on the Falcon, right? It's like he recently just got tortured and he can't see very well on on Cloud City. That's another scene. There's lots of layered development that also adds is happening while the plot is happening. Whereas in in the prequels, it feels like it's just like, all right, we're going to pause on this plot point for five fucking scenes. (laughs) And it's like, Lucas, no, you don't need to do this. We get it. You don't need to do it. I will say, though, um, no character has aged after a 10-year period better than Padme did between Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. I honestly didn't. It felt like she didn't age more than three years. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. that's that's another reason why prequels have a soft spot in my heart is, uh, you know, Natalie Portman. Oh, Natalie for Portman. sure. Yeah. I think there were also, like, maybe just a last thought on the prequels. There were a few unforced errors that I found okay. that they don't make me angry or anything. I'm just kind of sad. There was no need to make Chewbacca one of the Wookiees that Yoda. No need made. at all. Yeah, because because then you're spending. Then you're like, well, okay, that means that the last twenty or whatever time Chewbacca's been with Han, Chewbacca just didn't talk about the Jedi and they didn't bring <laughs> up the Force. Like he knows every time Han says, "I've been a lot of places. I've never heard of no Jedi, no Force, just Chewbacca." Like, okay, bud. <laughs> you know, like really, they never brought it. They never talked about it. Yeah. it's just kind of stuff like that just... yeah all that stuff is really just fan service right like yeah i think if you're a star wars nerd you're gonna want to like nerd out to like oh i know them or that's how they <laughs> met but like it, it needs to be done a little bit more tastefully rather than ham-fisted yeah um and but at the same time like star wars is not tasteful everything about star wars <laughs> is like in your face so and ham-fisted. Yeah, so like i i'm i'm able to forgive the chewbacca thing a little bit more just because, like, I saw I saw Revenge of the Sith when I was in like ninth grade or something, eight, eight or ninth grade. So it's like, 
It's like, ha, this is funny. Look how, look, look, a reference. Look, it's a reference. It's right. an Easter egg. And okay, how about this for you, Luke? Here's a here's a supposition. Mm-hmm. We're in the Millennium Falcon. It's like early on in Han and Chewie's like friendship slash like <laughs> I, I saved you, and Chewie's like starting to tell about like the Jedi, and Han is like, listen, I don't want to fucking hear about the Jedi. I don't want to hear about the Force. Keep your weird, creepy religion. You know, he's like, don't like. <laughs> Don't try to convert me, bro. And Chewie's just like, all right, man, whatever. Like, I won't bring it up. <laughs> and that's out. <laughs> sure, sure. But it also doesn't square with the way that Han reacts to Obi-Wan in A New Hope. Because Han, no. it's not like Han is distasteful of the Jedi. He's like, I don't believe it. I've never heard of this. <laughs> so, oh. again, it's just, it's comedy. It's yeah, funny, yeah, yeah. you know? <laughs> one last thing about the prequels. Uh, the one that, like, really bothered me for the first few times I saw the prequel series is like the fact that we know as the audience, we know that it's going to go bad. It's going to become the empire. And very clearly this man whose name is Palpatine is like not working in your best interests, everyone. Like we can see that. And it always bothered me because it's like, it's, it's a part where the audience knows more than the people in the universe. And that feels Mm -hmm. a little bit annoying because you're like, how are you so unable to spot this like very obvious red flag that's happening and like thinking about it more recently even in like the last couple years i think it it paints the jedi as this sort of over bloated you know steeped in tradition and not necessarily innovating and so like they are just sort of more focused on like maintaining the name of the jedi instead of like keeping you know they're supposed to be the guardians but they're not they're kind of slacking on their job and i think as clunky as that is, or as McClunky as that is, it is upsetting, but it builds an extra layer of nuance. If, if you read the Jedi as this sort of dying organization, that's more obsessed with like keeping it status quo than doing the job it's supposed to and allowing this sort of evil to grow. And I think that Mm -hmm. that is something you can take out of it. If you, think about it and do research but it's not evident on the screen because you're watching it being like i know he's bad what the fuck are you all doing like pay attention all right let's talk about the the sequels yeah the sequels are man i'm definitely i was of the i i loved force awakens when it came out so i loved the fact Mm -hmm. that it reminded me of a new hope and I think I will like the sequels more over time. I will start to see their merits more over time than their uh, demerits. And I really, really, really love the idea at the end of Rise of Skywalker of like choosing your family and choosing your mm-hmm. how you want to present yourself to the world and, and not being just kind of like a passive person on the winds of other people's decisions. I think that's a really powerful message. Sure. I just, I guess I feel like, unfortunately, and this is not really a deep insight and certainly not unique to me, but it felt like a lot of the sequels were working at cross purposes to itself in that <laughs> yes. it was written, it was written in such a way that its own worst enemy is the other scenes in the movies. I recently watched Rise of Skywalker again, and there are like some like not even, there's nothing oblique. It's just straight up. We're sorry for this scene in the previous movie. Here's how we're going to like rectify it. 
And maybe the biggest lesson is a meta lesson from the sequel trilogy. It's like, well, really, probably either have one person writing all three movies or have one person in charge of all three movies <laughs> that they can like set a course for all of them or at least like have yeah. a general sense. Because I guess it's a big gamble to take a, to take Star Wars and say, do whatever you want with it. I think what happened in The Last Jedi was was something like someone doing whatever they want with it and be like, I'm going to I'm going to mess this up just because it's what everybody doesn't expect to happen and you're like wait what now what like who, who's going to be who's going to be our big bad well I guess it's the emperor because we need a big bad now we still have another movie and all our villains are dead so yeah. <laughs> shit <laughs> and so yeah I don't know like my my first feeling of that is like uh it's too bad because I feel like it's a it's a trilogy that's not quite in in sync with its own narrative the whole way through mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's not complicated like the prequel trilogy is exactly but it's also kind of like its own stumbling blocks so i don't know what are your feelings of the sequel trilogy billy the sequel trilogy is yeah i think i, I agree with all the stuff you said about it and especially the fact that the director seemed to be like, you know, J.J. Abrams wrote to a point and then was like, you're at Ryan Johnson. And then Ryan Johnson was like, okay, I'm going to take it in a weird direction and like ended it on a point and was like, okay, you're it. It's like, director. you're it, Ryan Johnson. Okay, we're playing like patty cake now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but it's like, so he wrote, he wrote to a point and like, yes, it was unsatisfying. And it was like, wait, what? Like Ray's story <laughs> just like ends there. And now the big bad is, is dead. And Luke is is out of the picture too and then they're just like I don't know and instead of you know JJ Abrams instead of being like okay I guess I have to start from here he was just like erase and I'm making my own thing <laughs> and like that yeah kind of bums me out because it means the the movie doesn't hold together and the first like half an hour of Rise of Skywalker is so disorienting they're just like literally mm-hmm. just like I mean, light speed skipping is the thing they call it, but they're just like jumping from plot point to plot point where you're just like, what the hell is actually happening? If the original trilogy is like seven minutes between action scenes, they were like, what if we did one minute between action scenes? Kids would like that, right? And it's just like so <laughs> yeah. like nauseating almost. But but I also have a tremendous fondness for The Force Awakens because it felt mm-hmm. like Star Wars for a start. You know, it felt lived in. It felt dusty. Everything was as much as much that could be practical was practical. Plus, the CG was like to a point where it blended a lot more nicely. I was like obsessed with every trailer as it came out for Force Awakens. And like for me on a very personal note, like Ray's story really resonated with me as I was like in that time figuring out stuff around my own gender and my own identity mm-hmm. and choosing my own path. And like I remember like liking leia when i was growing up but i was like no i'm not supposed to like leia because i'm supposed to be a boy but i'm not and so mm-hmm. like once i was like figuring out this like we had ray who was like kick-ass she could hold her own she knew what she was about she was like cute as hell and i was just like okay yeah like she can just pick who she is like and that was like right it just hit me personally like right at the the time so like my personal star wars movie favorite is the force awakens just because we get the introduction of ray it's such a fun movie for me and i will i will love it till the day i die and possibly a week after that (laughs) (laughs) yes how about you alex yeah the sequels 
I would say emotionally, I'm the least invested in the sequels out of you know all of them. Um, uh, I did I did like Force Awakens quite a bit. It felt it felt like a Star Wars movie, and it it felt safe. I think is is what I would call it. It was a safe Star Wars movie that introduced cool new characters, and but it was pretty much it was a New Hope is what it was, right? I th- and I think that's why a lot of like old I guess old school Star Wars fans as you would call them look at Force Awakens fondly but then a lot of more critical looking past just the Star Wars layer of it are like well this is like the same movie that they did like J.J. Abrams mm-hmm. just played it super safe and like we have Ray, who's like a cool new character but like I-, I-, I know a lot of criticisms of her as a character especially in like some of my friends were like she's just a Mary Sue like like how it, does she just know everything and is so good at everything right away? Which is I mean, like, Luke is I, also I a Mary a fair... Sue. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think I, I think that's a fair criticism. But um, I do I do like think that her hero's journey is a little bit different than Luke's hero's journey. Where Ray's story and Luke's story, they're both trying to find themselves and where they belong and like how they're supposed to fit in. And but hers is like, I think. A little bit more twenty tens, if, if if you know what I mean, right? Mm. It's it's less so, it's less more about the actions and more so about the inner identity, and I think okay. that's like that's a great story to tell, and that's that's kind of what I would point at when people criticize Ray as a character, which mm-hmm. you know I, I I see I see criticism in her character based off of that that argument as well. Last Jedi is probably one of my least favorite star wars movies just because it didn't feel star wars to me um and and i think that's i think that's something that the three of us usually agree on is like it's it just it was trying to be something that it didn't have to be when it was like set up jj abrams pitched a ball that was like all right ryan johnson you can hit it out of the park now and he's like you know what we're i'm gonna catch the ball and (laughs) put it on the ground yeah you know, like I'm going to do something exactly. different, which I think the, the more I, I, I kind of look back on it, I think maybe I, I, I do. I do appreciate him for trying in a sense, like as much as we can criticize it, it is not easy being given Star Wars and being like, make a Star Wars movie. I think that that is such a underappreciated fact that like you're given so much responsibility when you're given the keys to Star Wars, right? Where you are never, ever going to please everybody. No, um, yeah, for sure. And that's a hard thing to do. Um, so I, I do I do really respect Ryan Johnson, like in hindsight, for trying something different and, you know, trying to make something that can be as controversial as Last Jedi was. Um, I think Last Jedi is probably one of the more controversial Star Wars movies because you have half people that really like it. And you have the other half that don't like it at all. Um, so being able to do that with something that I love, looking back on it, I'm like, all right, like, like I, d- I still don't like it, but I can respect you for trying. And then at the same time, Last Jedi had some of, like, kind of what I said with the prequels. Like, it had some of my favorite Star Wars moments of all time. Like, when I think back about it, it's like, it's not a sequel moment. It's a Star Wars moment. Um, you know, the throne room scene, the fight scene. With yep. Ray and Kylo. And then the uh when I don't whatever her name is, um 
Haldo? Yeah, when she when she like rams the ship at like hyper speed through the like through the destroyer, mm-hmm. like that was breathtaking to me. And that that those are moments that define Star Wars to me. So I can look back on them and be like, okay, like even though this movie wasn't for me, even though it didn't quite satisfy what I feel about Star Wars, like it still had those Star Wars moments and mm-hmm. I can live with that fact. I'll, I'll be honest, I've actually only seen Rise of Skywalker once in theaters. I haven't really given it much ah. thought or watched it again since. I think I do want to rewatch it pretty soon um, because at the end of the day, it's a part of Star Wars. And if I love Star Wars, I got to take it all in, right? <laughs> the themes of it are very good. And I just, I, I love the contrast of what we think Star Wars should be and what ha- it has become. And I just love that kind of opposite direction that they're going in. So, you know, prequels and I guess even the, yeah, prequels and the uh, original trilogy, it's all about like Anakin and Vader being the chosen one to bring balance back to the force, right? So it's like, it's kind of pre, pre-destiny, you're, you're destined to do this. This is the prophecy foretold. And then you know, the, the sequels go away with that. It's like, you know, fuck prophecies. You are who you want to be. Yeah. And I think that final ending with Ray is so cool and such a powerful statement that kind of counteracts everything that we believe Star Wars to be. But I, I think it did it in, in a great way so that I can kind of forgive all the in-between bits of it. Looking back, like... It's been a few years since Rise of Skywalker, and I can kind of... I look back on it as another chapter in what I love about Star Wars. You know, there's going to be things that I like and don't like about everything. And I'm happy that... I'm happy that people still love Star Wars to a point where Star Wars media is still being made. <laughs> I think I think that that's kind yeah. of my overall yeah. like thoughts on things about Star Wars that I don't like. Is like, even though I didn't like it, I'm glad it's made because something that I love in my childhood is still cherished by so many people and we we all share this common love of this this universe i think your point about the prophecy that you made alex in you know how vader was the chosen one bring balance to the force and all that and that was transferred down to luke skywalker who was like you know in the force awakens we hear you know ray talks about luke skywalker as like this legendary figure who like only exists in stories and i think one of the bigger swings that Ryan Johnson took in the last Jedi was seeing, you know, what happens when a legend is still alive after like their legendary things. And how do you live up to your, like the legend of you mm. type of thing. Right. Cause like Luke is like, I'm just me. I'm just Luke Skywalker. I'm not the great savior of the universe that everyone thinks I am. And I just happened to blow up a ship one time and then got into a sword fight with my dad a couple times. Like, you know, like him, the idea of like, yeah, what happens when you fulfill your prophecy and then you're still around? It almost seems like if you're a foretold one, a chosen one to fulfill a prophecy, you almost have to die once you fulfill the prophecy because otherwise then people are going to be like, well, what's next now, Mr. Prophecy Solver? What are you going to do? When's your next album coming out, Luke? What are you going to do next? And it's just like, <laughs> there's no way to live up to that those heights again. I don't know. That was just an interesting yeah, thought yeah, I was yeah. thinking about. Yeah, you could really compare... Um star wars continuing as luke's story right you know like star wars still exists people have expectations of star wars but what happens if star wars doesn't meet those expectations of Mm -hmm. certain for certain people right it still (laughs) exists you can't take away from the good that 
like Luke has done, Skywalker. I mean, you as well, Mr. Mason. Um, but <laughs> I think I think that's like that, that's a, that's a really interesting thought. Is just like if you're such a beloved thing, like Star Wars, or in this like I don't know kind of metaphor, Luke Skywalker. It's like what happens? What happens once you? <laughs> fulfilled what you were supposed to do but you're still around do you make more do you do more (laughs) do you let people down maybe you maybe you do let some people down but you also pass on lessons to future people so you know there's gonna there's like same way as how luke passed on lessons to to ray i i I like to think that there's that there's that kid that just watched the 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 sequels for the first time when you know Mm -hmm. between when they were like five to ten years old and in 30 years 20 30 years they're going to be the next they're going to be making the next star wars star wars story Mm -hmm. right and i i think it's just star wars is one of those things that i feel just transcends time like it's it's something that i feel will always be around and i think that's what i love about it is it's it's always gonna it feels like it's always gonna be a thing and every new generation will always find something out of it and bring something new to the table. I like that. So you're saying that Star Wars, between Revenge of the Sith and The Force Awakens, Star Wars went and lived on a an island in the sea and just hung out with weird like fish monsters and and flying creatures until somebody discovered it again? <laughs> to make the analog exactly, between yeah. Luke <laughs> more clear. <Yes. laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, there are some things from the sequel trilogy I love. I, I mean, I basically I love most of the new characters. I think that they're really compelling. I think Ray and Finn and Poe and Kylo were all a really great new additions to the Star Wars lore and canon. So the character element I think of the movies was quite compelling in a way that was more similar to the original trilogy than the prequels were. And so, being that that was my bias, I enjoyed it quite a bit. And yet. Even though the prequels are more complicated, I felt more disjointed by the sequel trilogy in its narration than any of the other ones. And I think that might be because, uh, maybe I'm just restating what I said before, but it felt like both with the original trilogy and with the prequels, there was a kind of like overriding vision of how they wanted the entire trilogy to go. Um, how they kind of wanted it to mesh with itself and tie itself in. And so even though George Lucas didn't direct Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi, you could, you just, you felt like after you watch Return of the Jedi, you feel like the whole three movies were like on purpose for their own sake so that you could get like a holistic take of this story. And unfortunately, because I think, like, I don't, I, I have there's nothing in me that thinks that when J.J. Abrams finished Force Awakens, he was like, okay, I'm going to have to invent a new bad guy when I do the ninth movie that I don't even know I'm doing yet because <laughs> yeah. somebody else is just going to kill Snoke. Like, I, I, I would bet a $1,000 that was not in his mind at all, mm-hmm. right? And on top of that, it wasn't even supposed to be J.J. Abrams who did episode. It was uh, Colin Trevorrow who was going to yeah. do episode nine. Again, yeah, I, I, in a sense, I admire Ryan Johnson for taking a big swing in a completely different direction with a Star Wars movie. But I guess my critique is like it just kind of feels like they didn't have an overarching vision for this sequel of what they wanted it to be and what they wanted it to say. And they kind of like... <laughs> They salvaged it in the post-production of saying, well, 
not the post-production of the movie, but the post-production of the script being like, fuck, we need to have some (laughs) really positive payoff at the end here. You choose your identity and you choose your family. That's what we'll pick. Like it almost feels like that didn't even get written until the last page of the script got written (laughs) kind of thing. And so it's not so much that I don't enjoy the movies or I don't enjoy the experience. It's that they don't feel cohesive to me in a way that even the prequels do. Even though the prequels are arguably much more complicated, they feel like they're just better written. And I think they're better written because there was an overarching vision of someone or a couple people to make that story. Whereas I don't like the big swing that Luke Skywalker is this character who will still give Jabba the Hutt and all of his cronies a a 15th chance of survival before he destroys them in the Dune Sea. And I don't like that he's... he's, um, feeling guilty about putting his friends in danger because he's on the ship and Vader might be sensing them. Like he's just, Mm. he's got all this compassion and like an, an overcoming of the darkness in him. And yet his nephew has so shows some signs of the dark side and he's going to go kill him in his sleep. Like there's just something so disjunctive to me in that character development that feels like, well, there's nothing in Luke's past like he overcame his dark his dark moment like he's just going to go kill his nephew now and and then and then in the next movie it's just like yeah i basically did all that i was wrong sorry <laughs> you're just like fuck oops oops, like, oops do you think oops. it's it's do you think it's extra tough for you because you know obviously luke is your favorite character well and, yeah that definitely yeah. plays a role that definitely yeah, plays a like, role it, it feels like they did a giant disservice to this great character but you know for me it's like it kind of goes back to the whole like don't meet your heroes kind of thing, right? Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. And yeah, of course you can take an interpretive way, but but what I'm saying is the character of Luke in Rise of Skywalker is contradicting the character of Luke in The Last Jedi. So like yes. the characters internal to the trilogy contradict themselves <laughs> and then you're like, well that doesn't make much sense. But they're contradicting themselves fundamentally at a more meta reason because they were written by different people with different intentions and different motives. And unfortunately, that's kind of the weakest point. And when I turn that part of my brain off, I can really enjoy the sequel movies quite a bit. And in fact, the scene in Force Awakens where Rey Force pulls the lightsaber, mm. like I still tear up. Like it's such a it's such a beautiful Star Wars moment. I just got shivers. <laughs> But unfortunately, it's like, at the end of Last Jedi, I'm like, who the fuck is Rey supposed to fight now? She's already beaten Kylo Ren. There's no one left for her to beat. And they're still holding another movie to do. What are they going to do? Oh, they're just going to bring back the Emperor. They're just going to like, <laughs> okay, one minute mini rant. This is not necessarily about Star Wars. This is about storytelling. It's an inferior form of storytelling, in my opinion, to not have breadcrumbs for your main climactic plot points in earlier parts of your story. Because Mm. otherwise, it just feels like you didn't know what to do and you wrote it last second. Kind of like Lost. Right. Uh, I wonder if there's a parallel between Lost and the new (laughs) Star Wars trilogies. If there's any link... Hmm. (laughs) almost everything that is important to the climax of return of the jedi is referenced or talked about or introduced in one of the earlier two movies almost Mm -hmm. every single element of the emperor and vader and luke and 
even the fact that we met Lando in a previous movie and he's flying the Millennium Falcon to destroy the second Death Star. Like every, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's like perfect crafting. Even if the acting is cheesy and even if the plot is unrealistic, it's set up really well. Whereas even though I, it's like a visual treat to watch the Rise of Skywalker ending and you love the fact that she's got all the Jedi on her side, there's still a part of me like, why is she fighting the Emperor? He was like, <laughs> how did this possibly happen? Yeah. Kind of thing. You, We don't even know the Emperor is in this trilogy and then until he's just gratuitously put into the uh, opening, opening crawl, crawl. of the yeah. ninth movie, which is probably the biggest piece of evidence in my mind. It's like they just didn't have a vision for this trilogy Mm -hmm. other than like fuck we're gonna make a gob ton of money making more star wars movies in the way that they those fans want us to make them right so maybe i'm contradicting my earlier point but like the weakest part of the sequels to me is their plot (laughs) maybe maybe you need some plot thought out before you uh yeah and i wonder i wonder if the sequels like because the three of us are living and breathing the world of Star Wars as well as the world that is existing while these Star Wars movies were coming out. Like, there's no way we could be isolated from the online backlash of The Last Jedi. You know, we we heard about Kelly, mm-hmm. Marie, Kelly Marie Tran getting bullied off Instagram and, like, like we got yeah. exposed to the, like, the grossest and worst parts of the Star Wars fandom and the Star Wars fanatics that that is, like, forever in our minds, like, linked. But in 15, in 20 years, people are going to come to the, the trilogy sort of more in a bubble. And like, they won't have, mm-hmm. you know, they won't have the, the tweet threads and the Instagram <laughs> stories that came out at the same time as the last Jedi or rise of Skywalker. And they'll just be able to enjoy the movies on their own merits. And like, I, I I'm for sure, I'm assured that there are essays and essays and essays that have not been written about ways to tie the sequel trilogy <laughs> all together. And it just needs a little bit of yeah. distance and you need a little bit of time. And us three, like we're, we're, we're unable to have that experience. Like, you know, we couldn't watch star Wars when it came out in 1977. Like we also can't watch the force awakens and the last Jedi and the rise of Skywalker in its holistic bubble in 20 years for the first time. Like, you know, like, so I wonder if, and and I feel like there wasn't a similar amount of speculation or talking. If there was, it was on a way smaller scale because there was no internet back in 77, but, you know, feeling like there must've been some discussion around Star Wars in, in clumps. And we just sort of got hit full in the face because of the internet and because of social media. Mm -hmm. That's the thing though. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't like A New Hope not received very well when it first came out? I have no idea. There was like there were lineups. There were lineups for the uh, theater. I think it might have gotten some middle to not great reviews early on, which would have mm-hmm. been maybe difficult to hear for George Lucas or something. But I do think it was pretty quickly a commercial mm. success. Yeah, maybe I'm completely wrong, but I feel like I think sometimes like time is the best mm-hmm. solution to a lot of things right i'm i'm sure like even in 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 my lifetime like i look back on the prequels with fondness and i feel like i'm slowly able to forgive the, the sequels <laughs> a little bit so like yeah we just talked about that today like, of course <laughs> yeah yeah and, and so like in time will i be able to look back on the sequels with the same amount of fondness that i look at with the prequels and the uh, original trilogy maybe who knows 
<laughs> I think so. Yeah. And I think, like you said, there's there's kids who saw A Last Jedi and saw Rise of Skywalker at eight years old for the first time on streaming or something. You know, they didn't see it in the theaters, but they just saw it and they're just like, what is this? What is this Star Wars? And now, of course, they can watch all of it and catch up on it. But those those kids who are growing up on the sequel trilogies and the TV shows and stuff are going to eventually be the ones who are like making the Star Wars movies down the line. Because I think that we're going to get a Star Wars movie every three years until the heat death of the universe Mm -hmm. and like a series in between, you know, for as long as time goes, just because it seems to be everlasting. But I mean, it it might not be, but so far it has been. (laughs) And and I'm all for it, right? Like at the end of the day, the characters played a huge role, but I, I feel at the end of the day, it's the universe and the world created and just the the awe that you know space is so big the universe is so big but there are mm-hmm. these really interpersonal stories that are being told at a very micro level in this giant space that that makes me love star wars so much mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i had a really good friend in well i still have a good friend but i met him in korea his name is tim and he's from the states and we talked a lot about star wars because it was also a common interest and this is so true once I think about it, but I never really thought about it until he brought it up is that Star Wars has magic moments. It's not just like the movies, but there's like scenes in Star Wars that are as iconic in any film franchise or films ever that just make you feel so deeply. And so I wanted to ask what your favorite one or two or three or whatever Star Wars moments are that just like make this hair stick up on your arms, give you goosebumps, so mine are every single time after Han Solo has knocked Vader out of the trench run, you're all clear, kid. Let's blow this thing and go home. And Luke holds his breath and then shoots the torpedoes. And then like, I hold my breath with Luke. I exhale <laughs> with Luke when he's doing like, like to me, that's Star Wars magic 101. When Yoda lifts the X-Wing out of the water in Dagobah, that's Star Wars magic 101. In the throne room scene when Luke has Vader dead to rights, has cut off the arm and chooses to not kill him and says, I'm a Jedi like my father before me. Like that's to me, Star Wars Magic 101. And then again, like in Force Awakens, I feel that same feeling, maybe not as intensely as those other three examples, but when Rey Force pulls the lightsaber past Kylo Ren, like that's it's the same feeling. So I wanted to know what are what are some of your favorite Star Wars magic moments that make your hair stick up? Well, all of those that you just mentioned. Yeah, sure. okay, okay. okay. <laughs> so, but like, uh, yeah, I, you picked all the best ones, Luke. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, uh, I guess just off the top of my head, like from any movies, when Darth Maul first appears, or not first appears, but when they run into like Obi-Wan and, and right. Qui-Gon yeah, yeah. and like the dual lightsaber comes The beginning out. of the fight kind mm-hmm. of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Another one would be, as I said earlier, like when the snow speeders are just going over the horizon. Oh yeah, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I love mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. The end of Empire Strikes Back when you know Luke just gets his robot hand and uh, yeah. they're all looking out the window of like whatever ship they're on, and like Luke puts his arm around Leia, and the music comes on. Um, mm-hmm. Like the the swelling of emotion you get from like following these characters in this journey and. Luke lost so much. He lost his lightsaber. He lost his hand. They lost Han. And then me not knowing that there was a sequel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's over. 
Yeah, just like just being in awe, like, wow, like this is a story that as far as I was aware at that point, this is the end. And like it's tragedy really is what Mm -hmm. it is. But then after knowing that there is like there's more to it, like, oh, there's there's more to it. There's hope. Like, I know that, you know, Luke's going to overcome this and they're going to find Han. Just off the top of my head, those are a couple. I'm sure there's way more. Like I, like I said, like when Holdo blasts through the uh, the other ship, mm-hmm. that, that's, that's a, a Star one. Wars magic moment for me. Yeah, I've got a couple. I'm glad I got to go last because I got to sort of go through the Star Wars scene <laughs> Rolodex in my head and sort of pick, pick a yeah. few out. But from the prequel trilogy, there's something quite intense and very cinematic about like the opening crawl going away and how we've kind of had these you know so the like what makes a star wars introduction scene is like an opening crawl and then you get a star field maybe there's a planet and then it like pans down to a ship and so in revenge of the sith when you like you get the crawl and it pans down to the ship and then it like keeps going and it like goes over and you see it's this war above Coruscant. And it's just like millions of fighters, millions of droids, just like, and yeah, you're just like, incredible. holy crap, like what is happening? And that's like the first thing that happens in that movie. So you're like, okay, like, let's go bring it on. Like Revenge George Lucas sick. is not fucking around <laughs> yeah, in this movie. Not, right? Not, <laughs> and it feels like, because I think at that point they were like, there's not going to be any Star Wars sequels. This is like the, this is it for Star Wars. So it felt very much like, here it is. Here's every last trick I have in the bag, and it's on the table. And so that's kind of like intense and very cinematic. I mean, the, there are faults with Revenge of the Sith. We've already talked about it. But then um, also special shout out to Rogue One with uh, Donnie Yen's character, Chirrut Imwe, when they're like on the... They're on the planet where the the Death Star is being designed, and he's just like he just like taps into the Force. He's not a Jedi, but he just believes, and he like he actually is able to hold a gun and shoot down a Tie Fighter, like man versus Tie Fighter. Yeah. It's just like that. That yeah, seems yeah, yeah. fucking awesome. All the ones we talked about in the original trilogy, because Empire Strikes Back was the first one for me. I really always loved the scene on Hoth, like the ATATs versus the snowspeeders. They're like completely impenetrable, so cool. and then like they figure out the tow cables, and like it's just like, oh, that's like such a fun scene. Even though you like look and be like, that's such a dumb design for a ship or for like a vehicle. <laughs> like it's completely top heavy. It falls like it's like this. There's no way does this shit make it past anybody else's design stage. But in Star Wars, it's fine. It works in Star Wars. So, like, the stuff on Hoth is just such such a favorite for me. The stuff in the Sarlacc pit in Return of the Jedi is such a favorite for me because it's just like, oh, yeah, there's another cool creature here that's just, like, hanging out in the desert. And I just love that. Um, In addition to the, like, lightsaber scene in Force Awakens, when... Earlier on, when the when the first order comes down and ta- attacks Maz's sort of house or whatever, and then the first mm. and then the the um, resistance comes in and we see Poe Dameron like fly through. I think you remember when you saw my computer at work. It was the it was the the X wings skimming over the lake and with Poe's like black yeah. X wing in front. Like just that whole scene of them coming in and Poe flying through and like he flies through and in one continuous shot, he shoots down like 10 TIE fighters in a row. And it's yeah. just like, this guy yeah. is fucking awesome. And so like that, that's a, that's huge a hell of a pilot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's that. Those are the, those are those ones that I can think of off the top of my head. Also rise of Skywalker. It's a little tiny scene, but when, 
they do the little like force handoff of the lightsaber and Kylo Ren does his little like shrug. I kind of just like that was like, oh, that was funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing we didn't really talk about, but um, some just great comedy in mm-hmm. in throughout the entire Star Wars uh, franchise. I mean, there are so many funny parts. Maybe you think of your favorite one. This isn't a moment, but the way that C-3PO and Han Solo talk to each other in Empire Strikes Back <laughs> has got, it's like one of the funniest interactions. It's like, um, I remember Matt Stone and Trey Parker talking about one of the things that makes South Park work so well is when they put their most different characters together, which is why <laughs> Cartman, Cartman and Butters, the scenes with Cartman and Butters are so gold. It's because they're polar opposite personalities. Mm-hmm. And you can't mm-hmm. have two different characters more than Han Solo and C-3PO. So their <laughs> scenes in together in Empire are just golden. So, yeah, I know mm-hmm. we could talk about the comedy. I mean, it's it's just so throughout. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah. And actually, in that vein, today I saw a post of uh, Mark Hamill on Twitter commenting on a picture. And it's a picture of like... Uh, scientists found like a three thirty thousand year old or three thousand year old i can't remember really old like huge prehistoric bird that's now extinct it's like claw and mm. mark hamill wrote you can't fool me i know a rancor hand when i see one <laughs> <laughs> so it's so funny the rancor fight that's a great fight <laughs> yeah 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 as another aside in the last decade i have appreciated the kind of Star Wars ambassador role that Mark Hamill has um, embraced as kind of mm. like the spokesperson mm-hmm. for Star Wars in the culture. Between, obviously, with the sad passing of Carrie Fisher and Han Solo's kind of like not, or Han Solo, Harrison Ford's not <laughs> so subtle digs at the Star Wars franchise. Disdain. It's like straight up disdain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the fact that Mark Hamill still embraces the fact that people love this and that he's kind of the face of the whole nine movie saga kind of thing in a way that mm-hmm. um Ewan McGregor kind of can be and other people but he's I just really have appreciated his ambassador role for the culture with Star Wars and like how he can make jokes like that like those kind of inside jokes of mm-hmm. Luke Skywalker mm-hmm. fandom <laughs> so I don't have anything ask is there any um summation thoughts you want to give on star wars i love star wars yeah (laughs) i love star wars and i think i i love the fact that it's what kind of brought us together kind of going back to the top that's like that's one of my favorite things about it really so yeah that's that's my thoughts Mm -hmm. i remember one of like feeling a very intense feeling of jealousy that you and alex you and luke worked together at a site and I was <laughs> off on another site and you had your like Star Wars trivia game that was going on. I think it was yeah. ahead of Rogue One coming out and I was just like, yep. oh, I'm all the way over at this club and the people I work with don't like Star Wars and I don't get to have fun Star Wars <laughs> trivia time. <laughs> yeah. So You were an honorary member. You got was, one point, I think. I did get one point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 It's It's pretty special to like see kids still loving star wars and and there's Mm -hmm, actually great mm -hmm. i'm sure the two of you have done this but there's just these great youtube videos of people filming their kids um watching the scene in empire where vader reveals he's luke's father 
Oh. Like just they're like six, seven, eight, nine year old kids. And it's just like you can watch compilations of kids' reactions to finding out that Vader is Luke's dad. Like, you didn't tell me that. You know, <laughs> yeah. Just stuff like it's so cute and so funny. Yeah, I agree. I'm glad it's kind of Star Wars has been for for most of my strongest friendships in my life, kind of one of the backbones of it. And I love it for so many reasons that you can definitely, again, like I mentioned before, you can listen to more of my personal reasons for loving Star Wars in the Really True Fiction episode. We go pretty deep in on the characters on that one, but just my appreciation for it. It's kind of like, um, I guess all cultural references are like this, but it's kind of like a, a bypass of small talk and figuring out whether or not I'll have something in common with a person, right? Like mm-hmm, there's a right. lot of things correlated with Star Wars <laughs> that's like, oh, okay. If I can make a Star Wars joke around you and it lands, we have a really big starting <laughs> point for yeah. a launch pad of future friendship, right? Yeah, and, exactly. And I don't mean that, I don't mean that in like an exclusive way where if like, if someone doesn't like Star Wars, that can't happen, but it mm. is kind of a shortcut, I guess. And I think, I think um, to bring it back a little bit, maybe for the liberal soul, one of the things that I really resonated with when I read Adam Gopnik's book, A Thousand Small Sanities, The Moral Adventure of Liberalism, was a lot of liberalism is built on uh, the emergence of self-made communities, people mm-hmm. finding their communities and, and wanting to engage in them. And obviously, you've also referenced, Billy, some of the negative side, well, the deeply negative side of Star Wars fandom. Again, I think that those people just hold Star Wars too closely to the chest i think the best things in life are often things you care about that you hold at elbows length or arms length as need be and you are suspend your disbelief for the time when you need to and if you're going to be critical of it you're doing it like very intentionally with a point in mind that hopefully doesn't make you hate it after but just like think about it like i actually like i like the prequels more after i criticize them once I point out all the things that actually make me revile some of the things in the prequels a little bit, I actually like it better. Like, I, I don't yeah. feel like it's, it's not, it's like it, everything is spoken. It's not unspoken. I've, I've laid bare all of my things that I don't like about it. And so now I actually appreciate it more uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to like, it's staying within and it's like eating up at me and I have to like pretend to like something I don't just because it has the name of star Wars. Well, no, I pick it apart a little bit and here's what I like. Here's what I don't. And all of that can be done in this kind of self-made community of people who love star Wars. And, and I think that that's something really amazing to give to children as something that they might be able to, because the truth is George Lucas made something that captures our imagination. It just, it totally captures it. Like you were saying, Alex, you grab a stick and you play lightsabers. And because of there we live in, everyone takes the stick away and says it's dangerous, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I I really appreciate the self-made community that Star Wars is a springboard for, for the three of us anyway. And then Mm -hmm. how much further it's gone, like how many other things we do together in our lives now and have done that have nothing to do with Star Wars, but Star Wars was a great... I mean, in our other podcast, Nothing to Fear, yes. <laughs> we, we do a Star Wars reference... Like, we're contra- contractually obligated to do a Star Wars reference every episode, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and yet, and yet, I don't think any of us have ever actually sat down and gone through Star Wars like this before. So it's just something I love and appreciate. Yeah. Yeah, and just, like, as a final thought about your... Mm-hmm. like liking something is I firmly believe that you can't like something and hold it 
away from criticism. If you like yeah. something and you don't criticize it, then I don't think you really like it. I think that like I think that mm. means you you just sort of slavishly devote yourself to something yeah. maybe like I think if you if you really want to like something, you have to be able to make fun of it. And it's like the same with like friendship. Oh, for sure. Like you know, it's like it's like yeah. I think we said like if we didn't you know poke fun at like things that were on the table or if we didn't like make fun of <laughs> small things then it would actually be a bigger sign that we didn't like somebody you know like or we didn't like you or we didn't want to like interact with this property like i firmly believe if you can't mock something point out the foibles be like look that emperor is not wearing any clothes what the hell's up with that like you have to just you have to be able to make fun of it or in order to like in it. star wars uh I thought that emperor was dead. What the hell is he doing in this movie? <laughs> Why is that emperor a zombie? I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. Was that emperor wearing clothes? I don't remember. <laughs> he was on a big claw machine claw. Yeah. But I will always love Star Wars. Totally. I will. I. You're right, Luke. I think that the pathway to like Luke friendship and honestly the pathway to my friendship, you can get there. But if you make a Star Wars joke, it's just like cutting through the forest <laughs> being like, welcome. <laughs> Star Wars is the hyperdrive of my life. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Friendship hyperdrive of my life. Exactly. And get there in fewer parsecs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Was it 14 or 12? <laughs> uh, yeah. So before we wrap up, where can the good people of the internet find any of your other content? <laughs> Billy? <laughs> well, I actually make a podcast. I don't know if you know this, Luke, but you're on it. Uh, mm. And so are you, Alex. This might be a surprise. It's called Nothing to Fear. We do a <laughs> weekly podcast. It's about a different horror movie. It is a whole bunch of fun as, you know, sort of burgeoning horror fans slash like recovering horror Frady cats. It has been so much fun to like make and produce. And there's 60 plus episodes out for you to enjoy. So go ahead over to where you ever download this one and, and listen to Nothing to Fear. And you can follow nothing to fear on instagram at nothing to fear podcast and on twitter and you can also follow me i'm at billy by design i before you and spelling billy and there are underscores between the words awesome that's where you can find me uh alex where can the good people of the internet find you i'm i'm curious to know where they can find you on this episode well you can you can find me on nothing to fear the the podcast that billy just referenced um I'm happy to come on to any future episodes of Liberal Soul um, <laughs> if you invite me and have me. Um, and there, I am on one episode of your other podcast, <laughs> Really True Fiction. We talk about Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. But, you know, if you're on the internet and you're looking for me, you probably won't find me outside of those places. But if you ever find me in person, um, let's chat about Star Wars because that that's the way to... That's the way to make conversation with me. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Love it. Yes, I really, I, I love doing Nothing to Fear. In fact, this isn't going to be relevant to any listener, but we're doing like three days in a row recording between these yes. two podcasts. <laughs> so there's definitely a not getting sick of this that I enjoy. And yeah. uh, it's so good. But if you are a listener to this podcast and you have anything you want to contact me about, there's a Facebook group, The Liberal Soul. You can send an email at theliberalsoul87 at gmail.com. I do have a Twitter. I'm still not good at it, and I still don't really know how to use it, but it's there, so you can at least see it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can subscribe on all 
podcasting apps. And if you feel so inclined to leave a rating or a review, that's a really good way to help the show grow. And I would appreciate it. So may the force be with the two of you. And may the force be with everyone listening. You found the liberal soul. You got lines? I got lines. I got the most lines. (laughs) Okay, Obi-Wan. I've got every line. Does Obi-Wan have the most lines? Actually, that's a good question. Who do we think has... Well, I guess probably Anakin has the most lines because he's in six of the movies. Yeah, or you know what? It's probably something dumb like 3PO because he's in just all of them. (laughs) Or Chewie. We could do a little wager now. Who do we think has the most lines in all nine Star Wars saga films? I'm going to say Vader slash Anakin. Okay. But okay. I'm going to say Jar Jar just because the, the number of lines is irrelevant to how many I think Jar Jar said. Hmm. I think I'm going to go with 3PO. I think that's as a, as a uh, far outside the chance. Not that far outside, but that's what I'm Jar Jar already has too many lines, so... <laughs> But but you might notice, Alex, you talk, he talks so fast, binks and you'll miss it. Yes, I've heard that one <laughs> a couple minutes ago, actually. <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a knockout joke then, and it only got better. <laughs>